Holman, what if I told you that? All right, tell me when you're ready. Holman, what if I told? I didn't say I was ready. Come on, I'm ready now. Are you ready? I was getting my headphones on. I'm getting situated. Listen, I'm this excited. Studio has not you been know used. What, you know why I'm excited for a like week and a half, and it's just so I I feel like something's off in here. Like somebody came in here and then just threw all of our papers around and and put things asunder, and my chair was in a different spot, and the fan was blowing papers everywhere, and it's mm-hmm. just like I I wasn't ready. That reminds me of uh, when I was working at the radio station, and there was a uh, a guy who worked there, and he drove a CRX, a Honda CRX. I, and I, I love those. I was know. really good with a Slim Jim, and he would arrive every day when I would be leaving, and he would basically take my parking spot as I would pull out, and every it happened every single day. And I go, this would be fun to kind of screw with him. And so I would park around the corner, and as he would walk in, go up the elevator, I would walk back around to his, his car, and I would slim jim my way in. Of course, he didn't have an alarm. And I would move his seat one click forward or back. <laughs> and then I would lock the door and leave. Uh-huh. And I did it for weeks. And then I started to adjust other things in his vehicle. I would adjust his vents. Then I would adjust, I would take his parking brake off one time. I didn't uh, turn off the parking brake. I just moved it a couple clicks down. So very, very slight. And I think I finally got to a point where I was lifting his uh, uh, windshield wipers. like So pointing them straight out towards the sky. But that's too obvious. Then he knows at that point. But it was driving me nuts because he just seemed to ignore it. Oh, it was driving you nuts. It was driving me nuts. Because he, he never knew. I mean, all of these things, it's like every day your pants fit but a little why differently. Him? Just because you're part of the whole parking space uh, thing? He was, he was a drunk, and I thought it was <laughs> funny. Do I know like, who it is? Uh, n- I don't think it's Crazy Ed. Uh, Crazy mm-hmm. Ed Kratiger. Huh. Yeah. So now he knows. Now it's out there. Long, no, he knew long time ago. Mm. Oh, we had, we had chats about it. We would go downstairs to Daltz, the restaurant. And uh, this is months afterwards. And I go, did you, I, I have to ask Ed, has anything been going on with your car that's weird? He's like, no. What, you what, asked what do you mean? him? Yeah, of course I did. Oh, come on. I had to. Yeah, that's, you're the worst prankster ever. I, I was way beyond. There's no payoff and you were mad. That's exactly right. Now, what? okay, what's the best prank that you ever played on? Well, hold on a second. So I said, I said, Ed, has anything been going on with your car? And he goes, no, not, not, why? Why do you ask? And I go, has your seat been moved? And he's like, oh, have you been screwing with me? How'd you get in? And there was like, but he wasn't really mad. He was just. Good one, Lightning. Yeah, it was just like, oh, hey, hey, you hey, moved buddy. my seat. And I was like, how do you not? That would have driven me completely mad. Well, because you just came in here and your chair is three inches. Did you do that? To the side. No, I didn't touch it. You what, did it. But what was, the best, what was the best prank you ever did? Was that I it? I was not a prank guy. Hmm. Yeah, so that was one of my better pranks. I'm just not a prank guy. Huh. I you know why? I can, wait, I can tell you why. Because you don't have the fortitude for the payback. Nope, I can tell you exactly why. All right, why? When I was in kindergarten, <laughs> I can't remember anything under the... I'm sorry, it was preschool. Okay. I'll never forget, everyone sat in these those little tiny plastic chairs, yeah. hard plastic chairs yeah. with four little spiky chrome yeah, legs. Yeah, I remember right? those. Tiny little chairs. And here's me, and some kid goes to sit down, and I pulled it out from under him, and he fell, fell back on his butt. And I got chastised. So it's guilt. You it's don't prank guilt. out of guilt? I guess not. Huh. It's so weird. Huh. I every time I go to do a prank, I think of that kid who fell, you know, backwards and the teacher just gave it to me like, he could hurt himself and you know, she went nuts wow. on me. And I just and I, I mean, mean kind of I'm funny not though. A prank guy. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, some of the good ones that uh, I did. I remember when I worked for the police department, we had black phones. 
So whenever somebody new would come in, they'd put the fingerprint pol- uh, or fingerprint powder on the phone. So then when you would talk on the phone, your ear would be all black all day. Oh, I love and it. Then nobody would tell you. Okay. Uh, or you take a case file and you fill it up with all the dots and staples out of the hole punch uh-huh. and tape down one side so when you go to lift it up off your desk, it dumps all over you. <laughs> I like it. Those, those are pretty solid. Uh, I remember one time a detective was uh, out on leave, like medical, for a long time. And so they uh, moved his entire cubicle out into the hallway. Chair, office, everything. awesome. So when he came back to work, he was in the hallway. Uh, Another time, they saran wrapped the the cubicle and filled it with all of the shred paper in the entire department where you just couldn't even get to your desk. That's a great one. My father had one when he was in uh, first year of college. He and uh, a couple of buddies, uh, he got some football guys to help him move a, uh, it was either like a little, I think it was a, like a bug eye sprite or something. Oh, nice. And they put it between two trees, but they put it so it's f- the four and outside. <laughs> like, it, just like Austin Powers, when Austin is in the, uh, he's on the golf cart and he gets stuck in the hallway, uh-huh. underground yeah. hallway. Yeah, and he, just like that. And it's a 500 point turn uh-huh. to get it out of it. And so I think he had to drag the car out sideways uh, because it was right against the two trees. That sucks. Yeah, that's I, a good prank. I, I think the worst, the, probably the meanest one I ever did, eh, maybe not, memorable mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a coworker who uh, would always talk about his, uh, his exploits in the dating world. Mm. And he had asked uh, our, uh, at the time, managing editor, if he could get a fancy car to take this new girl that he was suddenly in love with after like one date uh, to Santa Barbara for the weekend. So, A, I'm thinking that's a little presumptuous that you went on one date with her and that you're now going to show her what a big wig you are at a car magazine by getting some fancy car and then taking her away for the weekend? Like you just met, right? Just felt like that was a little presumptuous. Sure. So, of course, I had to level that playing field and kind of yeah. cut down his ego a little bit. <laughs> okay. So, I may have been involved in taping a prophylactic on the inside of the passenger grab handle. If he was not a gentleman and she opened her own door, she would grab a handful of condom oh, no. on their weekend date. Oh, man. That's a good one. You like that? Yeah. It's it pretty was solid. Good. Yeah. Pretty solid. I remember, uh, you know, then there's all the ways like fill up the guy's pickup bed and all that kind of stuff, which is why I said it here before. I'll say it again. <laughs> Cover that stuff with Tano's, man. <laughs> well, a word of advice for our friends with uh, Nissan Titans. Uh, make sure that uh, that factory Tano cover is uh, secure because Holman is just around the corner. <laughs> You never know when Holman's lurking. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's good that you can get a uh, tonneau cover along with all sorts of other stuff for your Nissan Titan. Did you know you could get uh, water-resistant seat covers, running boards, blacked-out wheels? Where? On their website? Yeah. When you order, you get a part of the uh, Nissan Genuine Accessories. Well, uh, on NissanUSA.com. Yeah. Sliding bed extender, fixed bed extender. You can get a divider, rear step bumper, grip assist, more tie-down cleats for your awesome Nissan Utilitrack rail system. How By the way- How many more would you need? There's- there- there's well, a ton. Well, maybe you need extra tie-downs. The beauty is they're aluminum, 200-pound load capacity on those suckers. Oh, no, a lot of hold, manufacturers have plastic. Could hold you and me. Could hold you. <laughs> yeah, just me. <laughs> so uh, head over to NissanUSA.com. Check out all the great accessories you can get for your Nissan Titan. And also take advantage of that five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. NissanUSA.com or check them out in person at your local dealer. Did I tell you that I got a decked system in the mail? Uh, you have not. I Why did. don't I know about this? I got it for, well, so here's the thing. I thought it would be kind of interesting. Uh, we, we're always talking about the 2,000 pounds of payload, right, yeah. that you can put on top of your decked drawer system, yep. which is pretty cool. Or the 200 pounds in each drawer if you uh, want to do that. So that's impressive. But I thought, hey, how, and I, I think about seeing their commercials because they tag me on Facebook all the time, and I, 
I always watch them whenever they come up. Okay. And because they're really well done. But I think I'm watching them put dirt bikes and stuff all on the top of the deck system. I thought, hey, wait, we have thousand pound sandbags at work that we put in the beds of trucks so they squat on the dyno rolls, right? So you don't do a burnout on, yeah, on, on the, the dyno. dyno. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I uh, called up our friend Greg over at Decton and I said, hey, uh, we should probably shoot some footage of us putting 2,000 pounds of sandbags. How cool would it be on the dyno on top of the deck system? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So sent one down and I'm going to be installing it next week. I'm going to do a, a little time lapse of my installation. Okay. And then uh, I'll send the footage up. Maybe Decked will use it. That's my hope. Because uh, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, because they show so many use cases of putting a lot of weight on a deck system, right? But who puts 2,000 pounds of sand and then puts the, the truck on a dyno? I don't know. It's just kind of different. Somebody who's carrying sand. <laughs> but not on a dyno. Heck yeah. Or water. Don't you have those big, like, water? They're not heavy enough. Really? Yeah. I mean, you'd need, uh, you'd fill the bed with them. I mean, the worst part about the water stuff, we used them for trailers, is the sloshing. Mm -hmm. And then just like, what do you do with the water when you're done? Plus, it's super expensive to fill up, too. No, it's not that bad, but it's- like It is if just, you do it from your hose at home. It's just, it's, they're, not, they're not heavy enough. The sand is heavier. Interesting. And uh, given, for the given space. So uh, that will happen, and I'll share some video, because I think it could be uh, kind of cool. But anyway, decked 2,000 pounds on top of those buttery smooth locking drawers. If you want to find out more about whatever the heck Lightning's been talking about for the last 22 <laughs> minutes, uh, head over to decked.com. Was, uh, was I a blowhard was right there? Was I just going on? Was I, uh, was I a big out bag of hot air? I'm sorry. Were you talking to me? <laughs> God, what a douche. We should start the show. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. What the truck Cause truck rides with The truck show We have the lifted We have the lowered And everything in between We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel And the ones that run on gasoline The truck show The truck show The truck show oh, oh. It's the truck show With your hosts Lightning and Holman all right, big you know, show. Wait, I'm talking. Uh, blah, blah, blah. All right, you go. Uh, I was just going to say, normally we've talked about and teased the guest by this point, and uh, we haven't done either. Oh, we got super sidetracked talking about sand. And uh, <laughs> pranks. I guess so. <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Oh, man. Are we really that sorry, though? No, not really. No, I that's mean, just how we are. If you've made it a hundred and some odd episodes yeah, you, in. You, you probably expect this by now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, we're not getting any better, let's be honest. All right, first up, we've got Holman's guest, Britt Mansell. Now, he's an entrepreneur, which you're going to be interested. And then we have and then we have Clint Cannon, also an entrepreneur, owner of ATS Diesel up in Arvada, Colorado. So first, Holman, if you'd be so kind, grab your phone and dial Mr. Britt Mansell. Hello. Hello, hello. Is this Britt Mansell? It's Lightning it and Holman, is. Truck Show Podcast. Absolutely. Fantastic. How's it going? We're we're outstanding. We're excited to talk to you about Everything. American, American Adventure <laughs> Lab and all of your crazy projects. But first, <laughs> we have a quick intro. Don't move. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? What does it take to be an entrepreneur? Quit your job and get a loan. And don't let anyone tell you you can. Go into debt and don't look back. Don't worry, there will always be another crappy job. This is what it takes to be an entrepreneur. 
So this is what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, you have to Brit. listen to that jingle, Britt. Sorry about that. Uh, no problem. I like it. <laughs> did, you, did you leverage the house and everything you owned to start this business, or was it a slow creep into it? Oh, man, it, it's actually a much longer story, but I'll give you the cliff note. So worked basically for 20 years and spent all of that money and moved to Utah and started from scratch. Uh, and that was roughly two years ago. So I mean, that is the Cliff yeah, Notes version. If you want, yeah, it'd be we're, quick. <laughs> yeah, we're we're neck deep in it now. So well, I don't. So I, hold on well, a second. Well, hold on. Wait, I don't no, no, want... no, wait, hold on. Hold on. We we're, we're glossing over something that just happened that I think is very important to know uh, for people who want to start their own business. I, I was texting with Britt, and I said, "Hey, we're about ten minutes out from calling you." And uh, he says, I found the sandwich in the shop fridge. <laughs> and I don't know. It's my dinner, and I don't know who it belongs to or what the birthday date is for it, but I'm going to eat it anyway. And I thought, <laughs> how many guys listening have, have been late night at the shop, no food around, and went, there's got to be something in the fridge. And you found a sandwich that you're not sure if you put it in there. This yeah. is the sign of a real entrepreneur. That's what I'm saying. What you don't know is that, that I already ate all the Mountain House meals over the last couple of nights. So, like, I was down to the sandwich in the fridge that was, was more spicy than I think it should be. So I'm a little concerned about it. I told Brett, I said, so. just wait. Your new guy's going to go to the quote-unquote HR department in the morning and go, Somebody stole my lunch out of the fridge, and you're going to have to just nod and tell them you're, you're going to investigate it for him. I have, I'll a, have to come up with some story. Like, I cleaned the fridge out, and I didn't know if it was good or not. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> hold on a second. Is, is his company big enough, American Adventure Lab, to have an HR department? Well, I mean, it would be Brit. That's what makes it uncomfortable. We have, yeah, we have several people that pull, uh, pull dual duty on that. So, okay. Yeah, so, depending on the day. We have to rewind just a little bit before we start talking about American Adventure Lab and figure out what did you do how did you get into jeeps and then eventually building parts that you found necessary to make to fill the marketplace oh man i, I probably have the most oddly unique story ever for somebody in my my current position so um to, to set sort of the the foundation I, I grew up racing motocross we ran all over the country uh doing that and that was my thing for probably 20 years you know for a good part of my life um and meanwhile wait wait, was, wait 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 what'd you race yeah. did cowie or suzuki honda uh, i actually raced we raced on atvs so you know for the longest time it was trx 250rs honda 250rs okay and uh then so red. you know yamaha came out yep so red yamaha came out with their new four stroke so moved over to that and ran that the last several years and uh eventually back on a honda for a couple of years at the end so yeah, it, it was a uh, it was it was a pretty crazy ride, and uh, we ran uh, basically all over the East Coast. Ran the GNC National Series, and uh, had a blast. But uh, you know that was what I spent every waking minute on. You know, for twenty plus years, and um, it was it was cool. It was it was obviously a constant challenge all the time. So uh, that's what I really enjoyed about it. Were and, you and were you actually, a pro? Were you or were you? I mean, what would you consider? Did you have a yeah, free a full yeah, ride? Yeah, I, no, I ran pro. I mean, it wasn't okay. a full ride. I still had a job, you know, so it wasn't anything like that. But uh, I did run in the pro class and uh, uh, mediocre success, you know, basically racing against guys that that was their full time job. So um, it was it was tough, but it was fun. And what it. was your full time <clears throat> job while you're racing? So I graduated from uh, college in, I guess, 2001 and went straight to uh, sort of Fortune 500 uh, consulting. 
So we did, uh, you know, I worked on projects for AT&T, for Bell South, uh, Comcast, uh, for a company called Accenture. And uh, I did that for, I guess, seven years or so. And it lived a completely different lifestyle than I have now. It was, I lived in downtown Atlanta, you know, walked to work in the dark, walked home in the dark. And uh, it was as opposite it could possibly be for now. Oh, wait. I still go to work in the dark. <laughs> well, that's what <laughs> it takes I, to be an entrepreneur now. is what I heard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But now, you know, now I drive. So it's completely different now. So, so I was telling my man Lightning here that, uh, that <clears throat> I initially came across you at SEMA and kind of hung around your booth and you guys had this killer gladiator on display and I looked at your stuff and I was enamored with it. But every time I came by, you were really busy with people I didn't want to interrupt. And then come to find out we run in the same circles and know some of the same people. And I got, got your contact info. And then you and I have been kind of chatting about some of your you know products that you have and some of your future products. And I'm just, I'm blown away by the stuff that <coughs> AAL has and, and your mad scientist. I mean, the CAD drawings yeah. that you send me, you're like, hey, check this out. It's just like, the hell, how do you think of that? Like, they're just unbelievable to me. Well, are, do well, you have I, a mechanical engineering it. background? No, I don't. But I, I wish I did. You know, like that's always, and maybe, maybe that's kind of why I'm still super passionate about it. Like it never was, I didn't go to school for it. Uh, you know, I went to school for a, a technology degree. Um, so my, my world was, was software. Uh, and so the mechanical side was always something that was just forever, you know, interesting. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm self-taught in SolidWorks. Uh, I li- literally went out and bought SolidWorks and bought, uh, instruction courses and did that for about a year and a half uh, to, you know, to try to learn it uh, in whatever spare time I had. So uh, I think it's one of the things where I'm just super passionate about it and it, it wasn't a job. So I kind of came to it a little bit later in life than what some people did. Uh, and I, I pretty much had 20 years of ideas I needed to get out of my head. And um, so they all come out at once now. Apparently, so. <laughs> it's like it's like the guy who starts a band in his you know his thirties or forties, right? And he just has all these hits one after the other. And that's what yeah. yeah, that's what you're doing right now. And what was the first? What was the launch product? And tell us for the inception of the name and the launch product. So the, the launch product might be a little a little hard to do. So. I, in the Jeep world, you have to have the obligatory spare tire delete, you know? So of course that's the first thing that really came out. But the, the first thing that put us on the map was the, the Highline fender light. So the, the light that goes on the JL right at the corner of the front fender. Um, and that thing, and that thing's got a crazy story. Um, so I, I bought a new JL um, and literally took it to a CTI trailer and I took a Sawzall and hammers and, screwdrivers and my plan was to pull everything off of the jeep that got in the way of full articulation in the front axle and basically when i was done i had these floppy fenders on the jeep that were completely useless um so i basically went right back to the shop uh you know, right down the street to the shop and built that that bracket uh and that's when i realized that hey you know the the important look for the jl is that horizontal fender light you know on the edge of the flare and so then I basically went and bought some 3D printers and uh, designed this uh, two-piece light housing that, that we 3D printed. And I 3D printed that thing for about probably about two or three months. Uh, and we sold those straight off of the printer. 
uh, for, you know, three months or so. And I would come to the shop literally around the clock. So it, it took eight hours to print one set of those plastic parts. Oh my God. Yeah, that's, so uh, that's would... not at a good economy of time. Right there, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no but, but, you know, like I couldn't go out and buy a mold. You know, an injection mold is, you know, thirty to $40,000 sure. to do what we were trying to do. And, uh, and I didn't have a business. You know, it wasn't like there was business money there. Brit's Fender Light so, Company. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, well, exactly. I don't know if you know the story behind those. So when I had seen the JL for the first time, which is about two and a half years before the JL came out, one of the things I didn't like about it was the the lights and the fender flares because I thought that they were going to get damaged on the trail, and I thought that they were kind of thick. And um, at night they look awesome, like it has the two circles and it sort of has the the slashes on either side, and you can tell a JL coming down the road. Sure. And I talked to our friend Mark <clears throat> Allen, who's the head of design at Jeep, and I'm like, why? He goes, well, you know, obviously you have to have more visibility for uh, federal motor vehicle safety standards and DOT and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, but here's the thing. See this mold line right here? And like, yeah, he goes, you can cut it there. And we designed it where you can plug something else in right there. And I'm like, oh, oh. well, Britt was one of the first people that I ever saw take advantage of it. So if you're thinking, uh, if you're trying to figure out what we're talking about, think of a JL Wrangler or a JT Gladiator. And on the front fenders is the turn signal and daytime running lights that are uh, basically horizontal. What thin, thin strip? Thin strips, yeah. Right. Well, they're thicker on the well, stock well, it's one. Like yeah. a, it's like an inch tall. It's like inch, inch, inch and a half, something like okay. that. Okay. So what you can do, and what Britt's doing, is he's removing the full like uh, inner plastic liner in the structure, so you're only leaving the painted top of the fender, which leaves nothing to hold that light right. on. Right. So he's right. giving you now a bracket that holds up your painted fender. So somebody who doesn't want to go to a fabbed fender look, they still like that stock look, or they want to put a bigger tire on there without more suspension lift. So, like, let's say you can fit a 37 with a 2.5-inch lift. Well, maybe you don't want more than a 2.5. Maybe now you can fit a 38, 39 without having to raise your center of gravity. And he's also giving you a super thin, really bitchin' turn signal light that can do all sorts of cool stuff. And they're awesome, if I do say so myself. Brit? <laughs> well, I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. You, had to, you were 3D printing the brackets, and were you also supplying the lights as well? Yeah, that's right. So, so basically, there's an LED that lives on the inside of that housing. So, there's a clear piece and then a, an opaque or a, a black piece. And uh, so, yeah, I would I would print those things around the clock. And uh, you know, like one out of every ten sets would break when I took it off the printer. And you're just like, man, there went you know eight hours of my life that we just broke, you know, taking it off the printer. So, yeah, it was it was weird. You know, it was it was a, a lot of time and effort. Uh, there was there was no money in it. You know, but people loved them, and and that was sort of, that was the first time I had ever been able to like build something that people loved and wanted to buy and give money for, and uh, it was exciting, man. It was you know like it fueled the fire, and and we still do that. You know, we make products every day that people call and just rave about, and that's you know it, it's it's very fulfilling to build to. to give somebody something that they're that excited about. So, well, how, well how, I was going to say, if you go on a, uh, at American Adventure Lab on Instagram, Britt will literally take pictures of his new stock going to the powder coater, and all these people <laughs> are like, wait, which one's mine? Like, they're all spoken for before he even gets them in stock, and he's like, man, we're working as fast as we can here. It it's, blows my mind the scale and the amount of stuff going in and out the doors right now. So Yeah, it's, it's really weird. We, You know, like, every time we place a PO at Laser, it's, it's almost double the previous order, and most of the time, three quarters of that stuff is sold before we get it. 
So it's, you know, it's, it's a good problem, but it's a problem that I have to solve nonetheless. You know, we, we can't, we can't keep a backlog. So, so when you start this, it, it, when, when your, your first product, you just, you start a web store, you Stripe or Shopify or something and you place one up and how do you get the word out that you have these products for sale? Yeah. So ironically, like we've never done any marketing from, from day one. Um, we don't buy any Facebook ads. We don't do anything like that. Like the only time that I ever really promoted the company outside of our own social channels is uh, early on. I made a few posts to, to some of the JL groups on Facebook. Uh, and ever since then, I've, I've sort of taken a different approach to it. Like we, we want our customers to, to market our brand because they're excited about it. So, you know, like I feel at some point we will probably do marketing, you know, as a, as a proper activity. Um, that's, that's more of my background than anything that I do during the day. So I'm ready to do that when we need to. Uh, but right now we can't keep up with our current demand. You know, I, I want to be in front of the demand and we're not there yet. So, so it doesn't really behoove us to go out and, and do a whole lot of marketing. So basically we concentrate every day on making every single customer, you know, completely happy with what they do with us. And so far, that's been the best marketing that we could that we could ask for. Well, you got a guy like Holman out here who is uh, salivating. He leaves pools <laughs> of uh, it's true of drool on all of your well, parts. Okay, so I here's my deal, right? So got the JL, and I'm trying to look for all these like storage solutions. And there's some great great companies out there that are well respected that make either storage platforms, sleeping platforms. But for my needs is I when I go out on the trail, I have like three different modes. I've got day trip mode where I probably just have my fridge because I got my cold Dr. Peppers and waters and stuff in there and my recovery bag and maybe my tool bag. Like, that's it. And then I've got a weekend trip where I'm going from one place to another place and I'm staying in the same camp spot all weekend. So that's my fridge and then my kitchen next to it and then other types of boxes and stuff all bolted around or strapped down around those. And then I've got overlanding mode which is where I'm going to a different campsite every night. So now I don't have my kitchen box, but I have some different cooking stuff that's not as heavy and rattly and all that kind of stuff because I'm, I'm, it's made for you know a quick campsite getaway. Like you camp here, and the next day you're up in the morning, pack everything up, and you're down the road. So my problem is I can't deal with Jeep's three tie-downs in the back, right? Like they don't work yeah. for me, and I'm like, I just need something. And when I saw the mass system, I was like, Holy crap, this is genius. And, and, and MASS stands for? MASS stands for Modular Adaptable Storage System. One more so, time. Modular Adaptable Storage System. Okay. And Want to pay you commission. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're, you're throwing me some product, so that's good enough. So I reached yeah. out to Britt. I'm like, dude, this we know some of the same people. But I listen, Holman, it's, got to, it's obvious that you're not the only one with these needs because he right. can't print the damn things fast enough. I'm sorry. Well, exactly. He can't yeah. cut them with laser no, fast enough. No, it's true. Enough. So- so basically, I reached out to a friend of mine. I go, hey, do you know anybody? I'm, I'm trying to look for this cargo solution. He goes, I, this guy Britt in Utah has American Adventure Lab. And I'm like, dude, I saw those. You know them? Oh, here's his number. You should email him or call him. And what's beautiful about this is if you, anybody who's in the cargo space understands uh, you know, what, uh, I guess it would be L-Track, right? And so what's cool is there are these little barbell shapes in the floor, and so he Britt basically uh, has these sheets that re- replace <coughs> the carpet on your floor and have all these little barbell shapes all over at different angles and on the sides and in the middle. And what it allows you to do is put a tie down and strap it into place, hold it on this little hole for the L-track, and, but now instead of having tie downs at the perimeter – where your fridge needs to be on one side, and now you have sl- uh, straps of different angles. You can to, put them anywhere you want. You can put them anywhere you want. You can go up and down. But then Britt takes the next level, and now he has 
cargo and fridge slides. He's got modular uh, boxes that have drawers that are of different heights. And now, like Legos, you can start mixing and matching all these things with this mass system platform. And then he has a rear cargo shelf that is halfway up the top of the cargo area that bolts to the rear roll bar, also with these tie-downs. And now you have this completely modular storage system in the back where no matter what your mode of travel is, you can put your fridge sideways or this way. You can fit these things in and everything's secure, which to this point, nope, everybody's made like a cargo storage tie-down, but it maybe has four or five points. Right. Brits has like 30 or 40. But right. you know what's lame? He only makes them for Jeeps. That's not true. I know. That's why I asked <laughs> oh, it. <laughs> see, that's, All right. that's, that's a common, common mistake. No. All right, Britt, now, no. now's your point. Now see, I take the ball and run. I set you up for <laughs> yeah. it. I pitched it, and you hit there it out of the go. park. You right. did. Yeah, it's transition time. So, so yeah, I mean, so our, our thing is uh, we get all the parts from Blazer that, that they can build for us. Um, and, and that's a lot, you know, like they they do a really good job, but I already have probably, uh, 10 or so Toyota products drawn up. Some of those are actually working prototypes in vehicles. Now, uh, we've, we've got a full system in the back of a Tacoma. That's really, really nice. So, um, so imagine this Toyota owners, if you have that SMC bed and you've got the Toyota tie downs and you've got the Toyota rails on the sides that are optional for tying down. Mm-hmm. But you don't have any of that adjustability on the floor of the bed. Imagine the American Adventure Lab mass system is your entire bed floor now. And now you can tie anything and you can have brackets for your mountain bikes, you know, in the front or a cargo slide or a fridge slide or oh, wait whatever. a minute. Well, hold on a second. But you're telling me when I hop in, I get that the sunlight bouncing off that super uh, glossy <laughs> aluminum and I'm like being only if you eyes. like it raw. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe you like it that way. <laughs> so you're saying, I know, I'm trying to set them up again for you. Yeah. Do you do colors as well? Yeah, and and we found that that's. I think that's a big differentiator. Um, we'll we'll basically coat it in any color that the customer wants, um, and that's actually super hard. You know, that probably sounds pretty easy. You know, for somebody thinks, oh, well, they just go get it powder coated. No, no, there's there's a ton of logistics in that, and you know, we we do color matching as far as as we can with powder, you know, nothing's perfect with powder, but, um, you know, we move that stuff around a lot. We have to pack it like it's made out of eggshells, you know, like that's, it's been a lot of work for us, but it, we sort of think that it takes our product to the next level because, you know, a customer can basically customize it at the time of purchase. You know, when it gets there, it's, it's ready to go in. They don't have to go find a powder coater or whatever. So. And you guys are making out of 11 gauge <clears throat> aluminum, which is uh, 0.120, and then you have a repeatable tolerance of 0.005. So basically what that means is every customer is going to have that exact fit every time. Yeah, and, and that's really why we stay with our current laser vendor. You know, I'm sure there's people that are listening to this now and be like, oh, he should use my laser guy, right? Like, like you guys probably have really good laser vendors, but what we have to do, we have to design to the very specific punches and, and dies and everything else that, that our vendor has. Because there's there's almost no tolerance in our in our drawer system, um, just because of the way I want everything to be a perfect fit, uh, I, I can't really just send our our files to another vendor and sort of scale, you know, laterally with with more vendors providing the same parts. Because then you've got some parts made on some brakes and some made on other brakes, and then they they might be off a little bit here and a little bit there, and by the end you, you've got sort of mismatched parts. So you are a stickler for detail, though, because I have within the course of a weekend you've sent me version two and three of something you're working on. 
Yeah, and, and that's you know that I, I'm not always proud of that. I would consider that some <laughs> some self-diagnosed. OCD, I love that. But, Are you kidding me? That's the um, I'm like, oh sweet, what's Brit sending me now? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, it's pretty frustrating though to have to hop in SolidWorks at you know 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning to fix something that you dreamed up or something like that. So <laughs> when you, your your brain just doesn't give you any choice but to go ahead and get it done. So so um, let's talk about some of your other products. Another one that I I'm a big fan of is on these new vehicles with an intelligent um, alternator, uh, IBS system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people in the past have- They're driving guys crazy. Oh, dude, they're, they're awful. They're awful to work with, and everybody's trying to figure out, especially in diesel trucks mm-hmm. or in Jeeps, how do you do a reliable dual battery system, both in the small amount of space you have under the hood in the case of a Jeep, um, or- have it set up so your auto start stop works like on the on a JL or a JT. There's a small secondary battery that's actually your starting battery, and what people would consider your main battery is actually what runs all the accessories. So if you go to a dual battery system and you take those two batteries and size them equally, if you don't have the wiring just right, you can mess up. You know the factory warranty, the electronics. We all know what can bust. I mean, it's super sensitive, self diagnostics. All that stuff. It's 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 an incredible pain. So if you're an overlander and you've got a, a Gladiator or a Wrangler and you go, man, how do I get extra battery capacity, but I don't want to tear apart anything under my hood, Britt has a solution for that. He makes a great bracket either for the JT or a JL. In the case of the JL, you can mount the ARB double compressor down in the cubby hole in the back. And he makes a battery box for a power sports battery, like an Odyssey PC1100, which a lot of people who are in motorcycles or ATVs would be familiar with, uh, laid on its side. And then you take a Red Arc um, battery management system, and the only wires that go up to your the interface of the factory are the power wire for the um, positive and a trigger wire for the ignition. Everything else off the back runs off that little battery. So now you're not affecting the starting system at all, but you're giving yourself a de facto dual battery system. And with their uh, remote mount air compressor um, a system basically mounted up by the roll bar, they actually add a fused block as well as the air truck chuck and the um, button for the air compressor. But they also add a 12-volt power point for your fridge that's tied to that battery. So not only can you add additional circuits back there, but you can also power your fridge off that rear battery that charges just like your starter battery would when the car's running and is your reserve. And then also, if you use that Red Arc, you can use a solar input as well. So, I mean, just thinking through those types of things to give somebody the ability to have a dual battery system but not have to hack up under hood is amazing to me. Well, I'm guessing that was not just a one and done. Like, that took some development. Yeah, that's, so that's like that's the output of about a year's worth of trial and error. There you go. Um, with not just the bracket, but just battery wiring in general. You know, for the same reasons you guys talked about initially, that the alternator is is probably great for you know being fuel efficient and that type of thing. But it's really not great for charging charging a battery. Um, you know, especially once you put that auxiliary battery in there. And you know, I see a bunch of people using isolators, which you know, an isolator is a is a a product for the traditional alternator, not for these current alternators. Um, so, you know, when you, when you isolate your auxiliary battery, you're basically blending the voltage between the two batteries. So you, you, you basically trick your alternator into thinking that your, your auxiliary battery is a different bol- voltage than it actually is because it's in line with your cranking battery. So, so what that BCDC does is it sits basically south of your cranking battery 
and it has three charging profiles built into it. So it'll actually step up the voltage uh, to bring your auxiliary battery up to its maximum capacity. Uh, and it does it in an intelligent way. It's not just, you know, shoving power into it. It's actually measuring it along the way. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, those things are pretty amazing. So he wishes yeah, home they, and he, he wishes that he was a mechanical engineer and an electrical engineer. <laughs> yeah, right. Unfortunately, he's neither, but he's solving problems nonetheless. Well, he's not constrained well, by the uh, the normal four walls. Yeah, he, he doesn't know that he can, <laughs> so he does. Exactly, right? Yeah. Well, and, and maybe, you know, that maybe it's something different. We, we use this JL every weekend. You know, like we, we moved to Utah from Alabama to be here and, you know, be a part of this you know, southwestern United States area, and we we explore it every weekend. And you know, it's not uncommon for us to to do a eight ten hour drive somewhere, spend the night once or twice, and then drive back. So, you know, we're we're using the Jeep, we're testing the functions, we're seeing how it works for us, and you know, the whole time the wife and kids there are having a blast, and I'm just thinking about ways to make it better. <laughs> so, hey Debbie, probably not. The hey, most hey, hey Debbie, Debbie, check it out. Here's the guy with the funny accent again coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's definitely a Utah accent, Britt. We can tell. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Somewhat native. Yeah, so let's let's years. talk about some of the other stuff that you have uh, coming <clears throat> up. I, I know you uh, you showed at SEMA on the uh, on the Gladiator. You basically had a slide out rooftop tent platform that could articulate that just slides right out from the bed. And I know that's something that you're continuing to work on. When is that coming, and what are some of the refinements you've made with the things you've learned from feedbacks in SEMA? Wait a minute, it slides yeah, out from so, the wait, wait, it yeah. slides out from the bed. So basically, if you imagine <laughs> having like a uh, a bed rack, right? Yeah, and then you have two tiered storage where you have a storage platform above the tailgate and storage below the tailgate. Okay. Well, what if above the tailgate that slide had your rooftop tent, so it's below the top of the cab, it's aerodynamic, and instead of sleeping on top of your bed, you can slide it out like you would a fridge. And you actually sleep behind the vehicle, leaving all your bed exposed my, and open to ground my stuff. My brain is melting trying to figure this out right now. What kind of a cockamamie here, I'm show you a picture. puzzle are you talking about? Look at this. Yeah, you, you have right. to see a picture. Okay, hold on. Yeah. Let me move the mic over here. Uh, okay, well, we're going to have to repost a photo of that. Yeah. All right, so that is a uh, that's a... So the tent is floating over thin air, right? Yeah, floating over, over the tailgate. So it slides tailgate. out. Not just the tailgate, yes. Yeah. It's it's five foot out beyond the tailgate. And then if you notice, it articulates and it has poles on the back to hold it up that have uh, different height settings. So okay. if your uh, terrain is uneven, you can still have a level tent. Those poles better be damn strong. Well, Britt, are yeah, they well, damn so, strong? So that's that's the cool thing about it. So the, the, the tent will sort of rotate left and right. And it'll it'll move up and down, but it will not move side to side. So you're you're actually not asking a whole lot of those poles because of the way the forces are applied to those things. They they really only do up and down, which you know like a super lightweight pole is fine up and down. They're they're still you know they're still too they're they're fine, but they're they're not put in like any weird leverage issues. You're sort of known as the uh, the Jeep and now the Gladiator guy, and I know you're getting into Toyota. What are some of the platforms that interest you right now for making product for? So the Land Cruiser 80 has always been uh, a, uh, a, obviously a, a special place. I've, I've yes. had one. Uh, they've been awesome. I've had a couple of 60s. I have a 60 now. Uh, but the 80 has just always been that workhorse. 80's the best, uh, dude, because 80 isn't as complicated as a 100. But you get solid axles and coils like you would on a Jeep, and in yeah. a '62, obviously you get leaf springs and and uh, and solid axles. So it fits the thing where it's a little bit 
more luxurious, especially if you get an FJZ or FCJ80 where you've got the uh, dual overhead cam sticks in it, a little bit more power. But it's it's like a Wrangler JL with a back seat, you know, steel roof style. Like I just there's something about those we've talked about in previous episodes. 80s are like just special. They're just well awesome, and they have more room in the cargo area than the Wrangler does. Yeah. So like we we have a I have a full mass cargo system sitting here on the pallet that just came from laser uh for the 80 and the drawers and the slides and everything are significantly bigger than what we can build in the wrangler um so yeah it, it'll that'll be a cool system for sure i'm excited i don't even have an 80 but i know somebody who does and uh he listens to this podcast and i'm gonna uh let's see he will be texting me in three Two. <laughs> now, and word has uh, on the street that you're doing some shenanigans with a Ram truck. Like what? Well, I don't know. Should we start with the Super Duty or the Ram truck? No, no let's Super oh, Duty. Oh yeah. Oh, you guys watch a lot of. Yeah, you, you definitely dig into the Instagram account. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, I, yeah, I'll give you the cliff notes on the Super Duty. Um, so I wanted a truck to pull our vehicles to events. Uh, so we would take the JL and the Gladiator, you know, to various riding events and consumer events and that type of thing. So I, I bought that F-250 uh, off of Copart. And we were trying to get it ready to go. So that must have been a, just a disaster. Everyone <laughs> thinks, in, the, in the photos, every Copart car is like, oh, I can fix that. No, well, well, no way. But this thing was all smashed up. And then he put it back together with like a different color bed because you have to, right? And it went, it towed, it went down the road. I saw pictures of it. Oh man, it's it's absolutely perfect. I mean, we measured it to like a sixty fourth of an inch, so it's probably straighter than it was from the factory. Um, so it's yeah, it's great. You know, we 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 use it quite a bit. What was damaged and, uh, on it? I mean, it was a Copart. So Usually, they're totaled. Yeah. So the cool thing about Copart is you can set it up to give you vehicles like with your specific searches so so i had a search set up the vehicles that were only hit in the rear so originally i was going to build a really cool flat bed for it and turn it into like a you know a long bed you know tow rig type deal uh and then i just kind of chickened out and we we put it back like the <laughs> like the stock truck so um but yeah so it, it was just hit in the rear like the front was pretty much perfect you know running and driving uh you know i drove it off the truck it really wasn't that big of a deal but the the one of the back frame rails was bent beyond where we could straighten it back out even with the frame machine so um the original plan was to swap the chassis which is actually easier than it probably sounds to some people there i think they say it's about 24 hours of, of work you know for a, for a legit mechanic um so i went and bought a chassis and when i got there it was supposed to be straight well it wasn't it was bent in the front you know at that point i had this chassis and at the same place i got the bed so, but when we got it back here, I thought, you know what, I don't, I don't really have time to go find another frame. Uh, so we, we basically cut it and swapped the two together. So we took the good part from the truck and the the back part from the new frame and, and put them together and turned out perfect. I mean, that's a weekend so, project sure. at American Adventure Lab. <laughs> oh man! So, so we don't have time to work on it during the day. So, like at six o'clock every night for like three three nights till probably 2 a.m., myself and James were out there, you know, cutting and wrenching and welding, and it was, I wouldn't want to do it again. I think I would. (laughs) (laughs) But you are are doing it again in a sense, because now you got, is it a a 4,500 or 5,500 RAM? You got a chassis cab. Yeah, so what what I've learned over time is um, 
we're going to do things by the book here. You know, it's just not worth the liability to, to tow with a vehicle that's underweight rated, uh, you know, tow without a CDL, all that kind of stuff. So, All right, everybody's um, been waiting for our tow episode. This next two minutes should uh, <laughs> should be that part right there. No? Yeah, no, so, no, no, no. So, we, uh, we need more. <laughs> so a little backstory. I had a, I had a Volvo Semi that we towed a uh, race trailer with. <laughs> of course and, you did. Right. Of course you did. <laughs> God damn yeah, it. And, and a toy hauler. <laughs> we actually put a smart car on the back, you know, so all this whole thing. So so I've been through this whole CDL, non-CDL RV thing at depth for, for many years. Uh, and basically I'm at the point now where we're going to do everything 100% by the book. And what that meant was I had to have a vehicle that would legally tow uh, Jeep, uh, Wrangler, and Gladiator uh, on a, you know, probably a 40-foot gooseneck. Uh, and, and there's not a lot of vehicles that, that will do that safely, you know, without spending, you know, hundred grand on a new F450 or something like that. So, um, but yeah, I found a Ram 4500 that had good miles and uh, pretty decent condition, and it was super cheap. Uh, so, <laughs> we bought it. And uh, I got it back home, and, and so now we're sort of going through it. Um, but here's the kicker on that one. We have to be rolling to Tennessee loaded on, like, the 15th or 16th of this month. Um, so I don't have much time to get this thing finished. And we're, you know, we're sort of burning the candle at both ends to make that happen. How much so. do you have left to do? Uh, well, that depends, right? (laughs) Is my Jeep build finished? Well, no, never really. So, so at minimum, I have to go pass a DOT inspection. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to build the flatbed before then. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put sort of hotshot style fenders over the rear wheels and tires and, uh, and do our, our lights and everything like that. So, but you also have other plans. So you have a gooseneck hitch on the chassis cab ready to go, except that's not your ultimate plan. You want to have a modular setup. So tell my man Lightning what kind of craziness yeah. is going through your mind because I've seen the CAD drawings of it. Yeah, so so in, in the previous life where I had the Volvo, I had this I had what we called a modular truck bed. Uh, and so the idea was that we could ship you a flatbed over UPS in pieces that you bolted together. And so it was modulartruckbed.com. I don't even know what's up there now. I probably shouldn't have said that. But, <laughs> um, nonetheless, the idea was that your bed was sort of modular, somewhat like our cargo system is. So you could get it in whatever links that you wanted and stuff like that. So, so what we'll build for this truck is in essence, a fabricated assembled flatbed. Uh, and, and that'll be permanent on the truck. Uh, but the cool thing, what we're going to do on top of that is we're going to build a, uh, think of it as like a cab over truck camper, uh, that's removable, like a normal truck camper would be, uh, you know, just on a pickup. Like a Lancer uh, so, or one of those? Uh, yeah. No, no, Lance camper. Yeah. Or a four wheel pop up or. Okay. Got it. Yeah. But the cool thing about it is since the Dodge is a crew cab, we can overhang over four doors instead of two doors. And so we'll be able to put pretty much a queen size bed over the cab, oh, which leaves the yes. rest of that. I'm showing him a picture right now that you sent me I, of the I'm cab. I'm looking at your, so, yeah, your SolidWorks version of this thing right here. That is yeah, cool. That's my, that's my where, Crayola version. Where'd you, yeah, where'd you get the the original files? At SEMA Data, Data Co-op or something? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So we're a member of the Tech Transfer Program, you know, and I've been since we started. 
Yeah, so they actually go through a legitimate approval with Chrysler for us to get those. And Now, is it um, true that you're going to mount that entire camper on the gooseneck so you can rotate it around to see the scenery? <laughs> and articulate. So yeah, that it, right. it sounds like a carnival right. ride. <laughs> hey, they're, they're, yeah, they're rated to 35,000 pounds now, right? You just yeah, stick yeah, it we'll right on there. Absolutely. A couple locking pins. Tickets. Now, wait a minute. Has, has, tickets has, and everything. Has anyone done this before? I figured, how has no one ever taken a uh, cab and chassis and, no, there's people build. have done in the overland market. I think what he's doing that special is most times when you do that, you do a tray bed and something on top of that, or you build something purpose-built, but it's never meant to really come off the truck, right? Ah. It's not a dual yeah, purpose. So that's right. So that's really the key. Like we're, We'll use this truck for towing the trailer often and for being a, a, a you know an RV often. So it'll, it'll actually transform, you know, frequently back and forth between the two so now, it's gonna have to be super easy for that to take place what year is the 4500 and that's a cummins right it is yeah yeah it's a, it's a 2013 um so yeah it's it's all still fairly recent stuff manual or automatic oh, it's an automatic i couldn't oh. find a manual i looked forever oh yeah you know, we had one we, we had a we had a one I'm gonna get a teardrop uh, tattoo in the corner of my eye now for Brit not finding an automa- or a <laughs> really? manual. Yeah. Yeah. The only time I don't like the manual is when you're starting out with a big heavy load. That's true. Uh, That's you true. know, especially in the Dodge because that first gear is always so low. You basically start at the shift. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You shift like immediately as soon as you start moving. Like Seventeen hundred RPM uh, or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, what's next for American Adventure Lab? I am bringing in. Oh, geez, this hurts to even say that. Um, we're going to bring in a laser and a, and a CNC break. Um, I saw you shopping. You posted some man. stuff of you out at manufacturers going, which one of these awesome machines should I buy? And I'm like, holy crap. How, Britt, you are, what are you doing? No, I mean, look, look, look. And, and this is how manufacturers start because you just can't outsource this. You're, he's given away too much yeah. money yep. in labor to another company who's making profit. So yep. he's got to bring that in-house. It makes sense. Yeah, and, and my, my number one reason for that is probably a little different than most. Like, like I want to turn iterations like in, in minutes and hours, not days and weeks. You know, like, like I feel like the real heart and soul of our company is the ability to have an idea and literally within minutes have something on a vehicle. Uh, and right now that's, it's really hard for us to do. We, we have some 3d printers, you know, so we, we have some capability to get a fairly decent mock-up of some parts. Um, but not for the bigger stuff. You know what I just heard? A lot of the sheet metal stuff. You know, I just heard Britt say, what's that? He's going to go buy some awesome laser cutter because he's impatient. Mm-hmm. He's like, I came up with this in my head now. I want it. I want to see it in, in you know in place now. And laser, by the way, not cheap. I mean, not cheap. they start at like a couple hundred grand, right? Yeah, it's got to be. A Are lot. you looking at fiber or what's the? There's, there's. I yeah, know there's it'll, two it'll different be fiber. Oh my yeah, god, it'll be six, six kilowatt fiber. So, Ooh. yeah, and we, you know, most of our stuff is aluminum, so you know it doesn't cut well with the lower wattage. Um, so we'll have to be pretty hot wattage to cut it. So do you have enough room <clears> in your building or do you have to change buildings now? No, we're going to have to move again. So, so we, <laughs> how many buildings is know, this? This will be number three and we're two years old. So <laughs> the math doesn't work out really oh for my us. Gosh. But no, we moved into this building in November and you know, like the first building we were in was literally 1700 square feet. You was, need, hold on a second. You need a <laughs> modular floor in your warehouse. <laughs> I just keep adding mass or, or like a transformer <laughs> exactly. where it just like expands vertically when you come in. Right. The thought has crossed my mind, of course. But, <laughs> uh, 
But no, so we, we got in this, uh, we're in 6,000 square feet now. We moved in here while we were building for SEMA, which was a terrible time to do that. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I thought, man, we'll never fill this up. And, you know, three months later, we're shopping for another building, basically. Oh, and, um, gosh. You're out by St. George, Utah, right? Uh, Washington? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We're in Washington, but basically, you know, we could hit St. George with, with a rock from here. So, so it are, might as well be St. George. Are there big enough commercial buildings in, around there for you? Like, what does that look yeah, like as a business owner? Yeah, there's some pretty big commercial spaces here, but they're super expensive. You know, mm. like, there's not a lot of commercial here, so it's a, it's a supply and demand game. But we we found a building that I like. Uh, we're kind of working through some details. Uh, we're going to have to bring a lot of power into it, so it's going to be pretty expensive. So we're working with uh, the building owners how to figure that out. But uh, it'll be 12,000 feet. It's two doors down from our powder coater. It's a couple blocks down from all of our three PLs. Uh, like it's it's just a really good location. So we we could probably stay in there for you know at least three more months before we outgrew that building. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got to be signing like either only a year or something like that right now. No, he I signs mean, week to week. Yeah, it's week to week. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Pay, pay here, pay later. I mean, you know? I, think, I, I think you're enjoying the success that a lot of people wish that they could get there. And what's interesting is you haven't spent a lot on marketing. It's just been word of mouth, your passion, being at the right uh, place and knowing people that get excited about the product. But I don't know that that's the norm. I, I think for somebody well, starting out, it's that's, it's not the norm. I mean, I I know. And I don't mean to say that Brent I'm hasn't from, worked hard because and, obviously no. But I want to I want to say that a little differently before yeah. we move past what you yeah. said. We spend the money on marketing, but we spend it on the customer. Yeah. Right? Okay. So where somebody else goes out and buys three thousand dollars worth of ads, we we do three thousand dollars worth of good faith gestures to customers and like we bend over backwards for every possible situation. So we spend the money. We just, we don't, we spend it on the customer. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Well, I'm trying to figure that out. So you're, you're spending, you're not giving the product away for free because that would be spending. No, no, we don't No, But you know, like we, anytime there's any type of situation period, we're pretty much a hundred percent taking care of any issues. And that's worked out really well because our customers are absolutely amazing. So like I'm super transparent with this business and have been from day one. So we don't promote ourselves as a full wheel parts or a Smitty bill, you know, like we are a little guy and we bust our tail to do everything we can to get stuff out the door super fast, uh, to make sure it's packaged really well. And so we basically try to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and that's, that's very expensive. Gotcha. And so it's. I think. Uh, I think just the word of mouth has been amazing. Uh, anybody who I've talked to in that space is like, "Oh, you know, who are you working with on this? Oh, you know, I want to do some American Adventure Lab." And they're like, "Oh, dude, that guy, oh, dude, Brit's awesome. That company's awesome. The the products are great. It's like, the best when they know the guy's I, name behind yeah. the counter or behind the phone." I've never heard anybody go, "Ooh, dude, man, maybe <laughs> not those guys. Not once. Not once from anybody." Well, and. And that's what I'm saying. It's expensive to do that, right? And a lot of that is time. You know, we put a lot of time into all of our customers. And, like, I don't remember if it's still there or not, but on our website, sort of our – the motto was, you know, products come and go, but the customer relationship will will survive all of the products, right? Like, 
if, if a customer on day one has a JL and, and we sell him lots of products and he trusts the brand and he trusts the products and he trusts the delivery and quality and things like that. And tomorrow he buys a Tacoma. I want him to come to us because he's familiar with our brand and our, our customer service policies and stuff like that. So, so let's talk the about relationship is really what we try to build. Let's talk about your brand for a minute. How did you come up with the name American Adventure Lab? I think it's the logo's cool. I think it it says what you guys are. I kind of like the idea that it's sort of like this R and D test kitchen in a way, right? Like you're yeah, developing yeah. things. Like what was your Genesis? When was your aha moment that this is what I'm going to name my company? Wait, he was in Genesis. Yes. He's, he was the drummer I've been for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so funny story. I wanted to be Adventure Lab, um, but AdventureLab.com was ten thousand dollars. American Adventure Lab was seven dollars and ninety five cents. Yes, <laughs> and I think it probably helps you out in your marketing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Especially definitely. now. But I mean, yeah. But we go to great strides to do everything we can, obviously, in in the state. So, um, you know, I spent eight years in the military, like that, that means a lot to me. What and, branch and we, were you in? I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, hoorah. We've got a, a lot of uh, listeners that are, uh, that are veterans. So thank you for your service. We appreciate that. Cool. Appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, as, as far as just the general lab concept, that was exactly the reason, you know, basically we wanted to do a lot of different things and, you, you know, we could call them experiments or whatever to stick to that lab terminology, but uh, to do a lot of different things and do iterations to, you know, to where we, we basically ended up with a successful product in the end. And that's what we do, you know, and as our, as our tool capabilities grow with a laser and brake and, you know, CNC mills or whatever we end up with, that's going to get even more and more successful. You know, we, we basically work to the capabilities of our tools uh, and as our tools get better, uh, so will our product offerings. Well, I for one am excited. You know, I'm a fan of the brand, and uh, I've I've been blown away with all the things that I've seen. And in fact, the obviously saw the stuff at SEMA, but we had the four wheeler uh, adventure expo back mm-hmm. in March, right before all the uh, the world ended. You know, Britt said, "Hey, I've got some vehicles there that have my products, and they go check them out in person." And it was great because I was able to see the stuff in person being used the way they were intended. And just the the fit, the finish, the quality, all that stuff. Like, you know, not everything is like that, you know. And uh, you'll get something that looks nice and it's rattly down the road. And it's like you don't want a fifty thousand dollar vehicle that sounds like crap going down right. the road that bugs you, right. right? You know, I mean, it's just those are the little things. And so I, I appreciate the attention to detail. I I appreciate uh you know the back and forth that that you and I have. Uh, I don't know why he does it, but Britt sends me things and goes, "What do you think about this?" And I'm no, like, it's cool. Oh, it's, I love it." It's, Britt, it's my wh- favorite wh- thing. what do you have uh, in store for our our, our truck owners? Uh, is there anything new for bed systems? Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> listen, did you hear the way he responded? Well, like, uh, he's like, "Which one of these forty uh, CAD <laughs> files in front of me or SolidWorks files?" Yeah, oh my God. I'm trying to figure out how much I'm ready to talk about. And it's, it's probably not a whole lot. Well, that's be okay honest, because so. that means we have you back on when you have your new products out. This is a great Absolutely. introduction, yeah. and uh, we can have you back uh, when you got some more truck product, but. Well, if there's one thing I've learned, this this really large industry that, that we're all a part of uh, is a really small industry. So we've had several issues with, with uh, intellectual property uh, sort of uh, not staying with us. Uh, so uh, I've learned that lesson, I think, through some hard knocks. And um, to, to, to give you an answer that that's worth talking about, we, we have several different things coming in for the for the bed rack space. Um, so we'll have 
you know, various sizes all the way up to the, you know, the one ton trucks. Um, I guess that's what I was asking for. I wanted to hear more that you were going to support the the small, the midsize and the full size trucks. So you don't have to give us any specifics, but there's good news coming is what I'm hearing. Right. Absolutely. So we're doing something pretty unique uh, for the bed rack space, which I'm very glad to talk about. Um, so our our Atlas system, which is what you guys were looking at that was on the Gladiator, that, that's the Atlas piece of that. Is, think of that as just the tent piece. So that whole sliding system, the articulating piece, that's Atlas. Um, the Atlas is attached to what we call our high rack. Uh, and it's, it's called the high rack because it actually sits an inch above the roof line. Uh, which means you can overhang uh, bike trays, uh, boats, you know, whatever, long, long fishing rods, whatever you put up there can sit above the roof line. Um, and so then we'll have mid versions and low version of that as well. But the cool thing is, so those those horizontal pieces that, that all of your gear attaches to, uh, we'll be cutting those with a two blazer for all of our, our uh, production versions, uh, which means uh, we get to put our, uh, our cutouts significantly closer to the edges of those tubes. Uh, so we get to pack a lot more functionality into a very small space uh, because we're, we're cutting all four sides of that tube. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that coming out. So that's one product that I'm expecting to debut at the Smoky Mountain event uh, is our sort of production version of the Atlas system, which incorporates those laser cut tubes. All right. Well, be- before we let you go, I'm looking at the website, and I, I do have to say I'm disappointed about one thing. Are you disappointed Uh-oh. that on his Atlas Articulating 10 system, it's only a dollar and out of stock? Uh, <laughs> Why is it All right. a dollar? Now I'm disappointed about two things. It's a dollar. It says out of stock, and it's a dollar. Well, that's why it's out of stock. <laughs> Duh. Here's what I'm really upset about. Yeah. Uh, you can filter by price mm-hmm. on the website. Yeah. And I just filtered to uh, the highest price of $10 billion. Yes. Nothing offered on there for $10 billion. <laughs> now, if I'm Brit, I'm thinking I'm going to offer one stupid widget that I can call art for $10 billion and hope one dude out there goes, I want that. No, he, he needs hey, to make I, something I've like I've got some custom stuff that I can make you a deal on. <laughs> we, we can get you taken care of. So. He's got some land in Alabama he's willing to sell you, right, for that price? Absolutely. How? Absolutely. And how. All right. All right. Well, wow. Okay, well, <laughs> entrepreneur of the day right here. That's right. Yep. Britt Mansell of uh, American Adventure Lab, if you want to uh, check him out. It's AmericanAdventureLab.com or, of course, on Instagram, at American Adventure Lab. And I'm telling you, uh, from personal experience and, and seeing their products, go check them out, especially if you're a, a Tacoma Gladiator or a, a Wrangler owner. Or, I think fo- or follow him on social to see his crazy <laughs> Ram 6500 build. 4500. 4500. Yeah, okay. so, so you guys actually got the scoop on the, the removable camper thing. Yes. Uh, I was still, yeah, I was I was waiting to put that out, but see, so now now I got to go ahead and tell everybody. So, <laughs> that, uh, we're just helping should, you for you know. Cool. We're just pushing you along, just trying to help you yeah, uh, prioritize. I, I needed something else to do for just sure. A, so. Just a friendly nudge. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just right, hoping right. that that uh, that that sandwich doesn't come back and haunt you later. So. <laughs> I mean, I I think that's a pretty good chance right now. <laughs> some heartburn, some heartburn that you shouldn't really get from a peanut butter and jelly. Is that know? what that was? I couldn't tell in the <laughs> no, picture. It, no, it wasn't. It was it was a lot more aggressive. It was that, green so. pepperoni. When he looks down and his stomach is doing the, is doing yeah. the wave, yeah. right? <laughs> oh man. Oh, poor yeah. Brit's gonna have the gurgles. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. All yeah, right. No well, doubt. 
Thank, <laughs> congratulations on the success and the and, growth. Yeah, and and, and th- with the growth on his body. From no, the no, sandwich? no, not the growth of his intestines <laughs> after that sandwich, but the growth yeah. of the business. Okay, maybe I can get that taken off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brett. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Appreciate yeah, thanks, you. Thank guys. you. You got it. I we'll talk to you. It. All right. Talk to you soon. Mr. Holman, if you would bless us with some what's new in trucks, it would be cool. Well, you need to know, and I need a jingle. What's What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? <laughs> what? What did you do that for? And he always accused me of ruining the jingle. Well, because I thought for sure you were going to ruin it, and so I just I, I hit my buzzer. I'm a consummate professional. <laughs> yeah, every a professional week, show ruiner, week in and week out, producing this show for the uh, love of our listeners. You do not produce squat. Uh, absolutely, you produce it smells <laughs> over true. there in your well, corner. We both just uh, <laughs> murdered a XL pizza by ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> what was that uh, Domino's uh, that? Uh, Jalapeno stuffed bread. Let's just not stuff. talk about it. It was like eating a loaf of bread with cheese, the jalapenos, and oh bacon. Oh, my God. There's no way that can be healthy. Oh, dude, I watched <laughs> you sweat through your shirt just by eating it. <laughs> like like your body was actually on overdrive There's or something. stuff you guys can't see. You know, oh. I, I was wondering, like, do you have a thyroid problem now? Like, what's happening <laughs> over there? People... Ask us every so often. They go, "Hey, yeah. why aren't you guys on YouTube like Rogan and whatnot?" No, We're like, no. Look at us. Rog- you, Rogan is yeah. ripped. He's and ripped, he, and he's like cool, and, and and he doesn't screw up. We have to make edits, and like, ah, oh, just no. We're uh, it's a straight read oh, yeah, every we're, time. We're, we're flawless. We're awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> pretty huge news today. Mm-hmm. If you're one of our early listeners. That absolutely has to listen to the show the second we drop it Sunday night or very early Monday morning your time. You're going to be pretty excited. Because today, I'm waking up like 10, 11 a.m. You're going to miss it. I'm driving into work at like noon. Nope, you're going to miss it. All right. Nope. Today, Monday, Mm -hmm. the day we're dropping this show. Yes. Literally, if you are listening to this right now and you're the first person to download in just a few hours, Mm -hmm. you're finally going to get to hear all about the Ram TRX. Embargo lifts today. That ain't true. That's not true. So get your facts straight. Holman, it's not true. So August 17th. Wait a which second. Which hopefully is the moment you're wait listening a, right wait now. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. At 12 p.m. You're Eastern BSing. time. No, it's just no. No, there's no way. You're not wrong. You're just maybe less than right. There's no today, way. All of the. Uh, we've today, been waiting years for the TRX. Today. The actual Raptor killer. But here's, but here's the problem. Right now, this episode is pre-embargo. We can't talk about it. But for you, Lightning... I have a surprise. And for our listeners, Mike Koval, head of Ram Trucks, is going to do a special bonus TRX episode with us that's going to launch in a couple hours. At 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern time, you guys get another episode today, and it'll be all about the TRX. Yeah, buddy! And that's what we do for you. Five star review. <laughs> <laughs> so give us some five stars and uh, download that episode. Well, it's too. been a minute since we've read uh, some five star reviews. Do we have any? Have we gotten any new reviews? Yeah, we can do that later in the show. Speaking of reviews, dude, if you can uh, leave us a five star review, we'd really be appreciative. All right. So you and I have uh, had this conversation with Lieberman, with Freiberger, with Jason Gonerman, 
And it's how to define a truck. So I wrote a story back in, I don't know, May or June, something like that. I thought it pretty well defined. I thought so too. A truck, but what happened? Did, so Jason, Oh no. Is there something new on the market so, that is confusing America? There's a new article that's uh, <laughs> confusing America. Okay. So Jason Gunderman thought it would be funny to write a rebuttal piece to that story. Say what? So head over to uh, fourwheeler.com and you can see the original piece. The rebuttal piece, and now we have- Why would you not email me the link when that came out? It just came out today. Oh, okay. What is a truck? These are the readers who responded, and I don't think they liked our version of what is a truck. Really? Can you can you tease us with some? Yeah, absolutely. How about this one? Uh, first of all, I don't even know why this discussion is even a discussion. What does it even matter as long as the vehicle has an open bed to carry some kind of payload? People buy or use their pickups for a variety of reasons, so- what makes one person's reasons or needs better than anyone else's? Isn't that the beauty of having so many choices with different manufacturers so that we can find something that suits our individual needs? No. You know, and then he goes, <laughs> no, this is from not. Kerry Richardson. And they go on with, uh, besides some people even purchase trucks based solely on looks, they'll never haul a pound of cargo. So what? That's their choice. Isn't America great? I didn't realize that my piece on trucks was a referendum on being American. You Listen. You go, you go to doctor school, right? And you come out with a, a doctor license, whatever doctors get, and then you can practice- <laughs> In truckology. You can practice doctor stuff, right? <laughs> Holman has served his time as a truck guy. I think I get to have an opinion. And gets to lay down the law. And if you're only kind of, sort of a truck guy, you got to live by what he says. Yeah. If he says what you have isn't a truck, sell it. Well, let's see if Bill Hill agrees <laughs> with you. Uh, By the way, I said sell it. <laughs> I, I heard you. Uh, my wife made me is his uh, the title of his email. Thanks for the rebuttal. I enjoyed reading the first installment on defining a truck, but had some hesitation regarding the conclusions. At first glance, each of the criteria alone seems to make sense, but when combined, the results eliminate vehicles that are definitely marketed as trucks. For example, the Honda Ridgeline. Well, we didn't talk about what was marketed as trucks because then that would define trucks. Yeah, we are disagreeing. That was with on that. purpose, by right. the way, dude. Anyway, so. Anyway, he goes on a little bit more, but it says, thanks for two stimulating essays on the topic. All right, so I'm, I'm oh, okay, okay with that, it, right? right? Like, I, don't think, I don't think that's He that's appreciates the, uh, the, the writings, right? Yeah, the ramblings so. of two crazy truck journalists. <laughs> yeah, right. Eric Reeve writes, uh, where's the towing and hauling? Well, I agree with most of the elements for determining <laughs> what a pickup truck is. However, I don't see where weight carrying capacity or towability is considered. In my opinion, I would add these two. One, an open bed pickup or any other vehicle also needs to safely carry without extensive enhancements more than 1,000 pounds of payload with two adults in the vehicle and to safely tow without extensive enhancements more than 5,000 pounds. Driving a vehicle that is overloaded or towing beyond design and configured limits is very dangerous. Anyway, he goes on and says, therefore, some of the identified vehicles are not pickups in my opinion. Hmm. But I figured body on frame he, he should be- some good points. I get it, but I figured that towing and hauling was part of my body on frame thing. So yeah. I guess I didn't break it down enough. Uh, this guy says, rate instead of debate. This is Howard Pletcher. says, I know you writers have come up with something to fill the space, but it must be a really slow day at the office to come up Ooh, with that drivel. Burn. What are Rabbit pickups, Bajas, Ridgelines, et cetera, if they aren't pickups? Burn. Uh, SUTs, not pickups. I don't know. If it's got a cargo box, it qualifies. Even the Tesla. A truck is meant to haul things, and they all do that to one degree needed by the... And they all do that to the degree needed by the purchaser. Now, if you want to come up with a truckability rating with a one-ton dually diesel as a 10 and a Rabbit as a 1, I wouldn't argue that. Although I would expect an application of that, you'd still end up with a lot of personal preferences overriding whatever scale you pick, just as in your truck and car of the year ratings. Ooh, Ooh burn! burn! Howard Pletcher <laughs> shooting it down. <laughs> yeah, buddy! Uh, here's one from uh, Glenn. says, I fully agree with uh, the definition of a pickup should be reduced to the presence of an open bed, two wheels driven, unibody, 
Construction, separate cabin bed, they're all irrelevant. And a longitudinally mounted engine, completely unrelated to the issue of what makes a truck. I disagree. Thanks for simplifying the issue, for having the strength to buck the trend at Motor Trend. Glenn! Guys, if sports didn't have referees... We wouldn't have sports. Yeah, like you got to you get yeah, you got to have a truck referee. And this guy over here in the blue shirt, what is that you're wearing right now? 2020 what? <laughs> it's my uh 2020 just trash. What is that? It's the Trash Pandas. Oh, the Trash Pandas. Yeah, oh, this is, is my cool. favorite yeah. minor league baseball team, which is an yeah. affiliate of the Angels. It's well, speaking of speaking Rock, of referees. Rocket City uh Rocket City Trash Pandas. They're out of uh, Alabama. And this was their inaugural season, and they have a raccoon in a trash can with rocket motors strapped to it, and they're literally called the Rocket City Trash Band is my, my favorite minor league team. I was going to fly out to Alabama this year to go see them, and then COVID ruined everything for everybody. Gotcha. So this is uh, – they offered this commemorative shirt for 2020. Where it says 2020 just trash, just trash. with the uh, rocket trash panda, which is a r- raccoon flying out I love he has a there. control panel on his chest. Oh, yeah. And uh, lots of fire and rocket fins from his trash can. All right, I'll read just a couple more. Uh, long-time reader, first-time caller, if I think you'd appreciate that. Long-time reader, first-time caller. <laughs> All right, no, what is it? Yeah. 1-800-5800-TOM. Tom likes here. Stop. Flash right everybody. one I've read many an article penned by both Mr. Goderman and Mr. Holman over the past decade or so. Your rebuttal, while reasonably thorough, neglected to delve into the body-on-frame construction. I do not know if the Ridgeline is body-on-frame. It's not. That would be my absolute baseline for a truck as for front-wheel drive. If there's not an option for all-wheel drive, then that should disqualify the vehicle from consideration. You know, I didn't think of it that way. I was doing front-wheel drive based. I might change it to all-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive with 4x4 capability. I actually agree with this guy. So oh, we'll really? See. You're uh, bending. I'm bending a little bit. Anyway, so uh, that's from Sam. And then one last one just because it's funny. So why do one more when you can do one too many? Well, because this one is from Lauren Lee who listens to the podcast. What? Uh, it says, I agree with your rebuttal concerning the fact that Sean Holman's five questions are seemingly aimed to exclude the Honda Ridgeline. Yeah, right. Duh. Holman is a traditional off-road 4x4 front rear locker diesel manual shift tr- kind of truck guy. <laughs> I have listened to all his truck show what podcasts. What a sentence, But hold on. They got everything in one sentence. I have listened to all the truck show podcasts. Five stars. No way. Five star review. Five stars. I did not see that coming. I, either did I. And it uh, goes on to say, oh, how- wait a minute. That's what she said. It's Lauren Lee. It it probably is. That's what she said. Uh, However, I'd like to narrow the five questions a bit. One, a truck is a motor vehicle with an open cargo bed, which greatly broadens what what is a truck. Two, separate bed. I consider those millions of big commercial panel trucks to be trucks, not SUVs. Essentially, a separate enclosed box versus a bed. No, a panel truck or is a van. Unless she's talking about a bobtail, but then it still has cargo box separate from the cab. So I'm Mm -mm. not sure what the what the Write us, write us directly this time. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com, Lauren, and let us know what you were thinking. Well, yeah, yeah. And then three, longitudinal driveline. This is so archaic, so Rivian. Cybertruck and Nikola are not trucks, but they're still vaporware anyway, <laughs> which is funny. Mm. Uh, four, all-wheel drive or four-by-four. Those millions of two-wheel drive pickup trucks are not trucks. No, if you listen to what we said, it was two-wheel drive with the ability of the chassis to have four-wheel drive. We did not exclude two-wheel drive trucks. We said the chassis has to have the ability of being four-wheel drive. This is the most difficult question. Number five, this is the most difficult question regarding body and frame. Unibody does have some advantages. Lighter, handles better, safer. However, the body and frame has greater payload, towing capacity, but the Ridgeline payload is equal or greater to many other midsize quote-unquote trucks. So I think this question is not quite black and white. And I would agree with you. That's the whole reason we did it because nothing in the truck world is black and white right now, right? So anyway, head over to uh, Truck Trend or Four Wheeler and check out the rebuttal. There's a bunch of great uh, points in there. And what am I? Uh, what am I in the search bar at the top? What am I typing in to get that article? Just type in what is a truck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, did you see? Uh, speaking of Nikola, did you see our friends put out another concept rendering? 
I did see it, but I did not have a chance to look, although I should have because I feel uh, we're somewhat attached to it now. Uh, the EV maker Nikola's garbage truck plans to put a stink on the competition. Wait, the wait, wait, wait. Say that again. Republic Services, who does a giant trash hauling uh, service here in the United States, yeah. has ordered 2,500 trash trucks from Nikola. No kidding. And so they're a, uh, a cabin chassis, Holy cab smack. over, with a tag axle on the Hold back. On, let me move over here. So the idea is making the world's quietest trash truck. That is cool really looking, cool right? Looking, yeah. I like how they have the wind farm in the background. Yeah, right. Of course. Yeah. Wow. That is. Uh, that's. It looks like a. It looks like a concept. But the weird part about the Nikola vehicles is I have a feeling they're going to come out actually looking like the concepts. Yeah, I mean they're all pretty realistic, but they're they're awesome. So this they're one very uh, space age. This one fits into the zero emission heavy truck market, and uh, Republic has an option to expand their order of twenty five hundred up to. 5,000. It's a lot of trash trucks. Wow. Says that uh, options will include both automated side loaders and front end loaders. And Nikola claims up to 1,200 cans per charge and up to 150 miles per charge from uh, up to 720 kilowatts of energy storage. So you might have a Nikola trash truck coming to a neighborhood near you. Be awesome if they could, uh, you pour in a bunch of fruit and stuff in the back and it. Uh and it churns the oh the maybe when it, all the gases as yeah. it's fermenting all turns the, it into energy yeah they, it uses it and it keeps I don't dry forever. Think that happens in the day you're picking up trash though. Oh, you couldn't. You'd have to fast. leave it in there for a couple months or gotcha. something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, imagine uh, how bad it would smell because trash trucks already reek. They already they're and they, horrible. And, and they clean them out every day. Yeah, they don't really do a good job though. No, they don't. Uh, our friend uh, Nina Barlow, uh, Nina Barlow from Barlow Rentals, our friend out in Sedona and Moab doing the Jeep rentals, who yes. also is a uh, very well-known uh, trail guide, uh, racer, um, just a overall four-wheel drive badass. And uh, she has uh, teamed up with Ram once again for the 2020 Rebel Rally. Yeah, so the uh, Rebel Rally this year takes place uh, October 8th through 17th from uh, Lake Tahoe in Northern California. It goes across the Nevada desert, ending in the famous Imperial Sand Dunes, better known as Glamis or Glamis. Uh, Glamis, <laughs> speaking of uh, our girlfriend, Emmy Hall, will she be there? Uh, she usually is. So Why uh, does she call it Glamis? Was it a screw Emmy. Up or, uh, I don't know, because uh, she's Emmy. She knows it just gets her goat. Maybe that might just be the point, right? Sure. So uh, anyway, uh, if Emmy, you're going, good luck to you. And of course, uh, Nina and team, good luck to you. And uh, No, if Emmy, if you're going and you're listening to us now, we need a before and we need an after. Is she right? gonna? You want her to tell us about her racing adventure? Yes, of course. Why wouldn't we want first-person race adventure stories? All right, Emmy, you know what to do. Was she gonna put up the bat signal or something? <laughs> like, what, do we put up the bat signal? She wouldn't put it up. We would put it up. Dude, we would put up the Emmy signal. I'm so hot, I cannot I think know. right now. What does the Emmy signal look like? All right, before I get to the next thing, it is literally 90 degrees in here. I'm going over to the fan. Yes. And I'm turning it on. Yeah, so you're gonna turn I can't on. Freaking stand. How hot it is. So, so here's the thing. Sorry. We talk about this all the time. This was you guys in our in our early days. We had we, air conditioning. No, no, no. We had ants. <laughs> and air conditioning. And air conditioning. So we dealt with the ants yeah. and we enjoyed the air conditioning. As soon as COVID hit and the motor trend facility, this has got to be fifty thousand square foot. It's a big building. Huge. And there's no one in it. And when I say no one, I don't mean a figure of speech like No, there's no one here. There's literally no one in the building but us. Yeah. So they turned there off are all the AC. Two humans here. Right. So it doesn't make sense to pay for AC right. when there's no one in the building. So today was a particularly hot day. And the sun sets in the west and bakes on our corner. Yeah, we well, are literally on our the corner. Wall is yes. a, it's a concrete walled building 
and our interior and exterior wall is the same. It's concrete. So it's yes. like a Vegas parking structure. And so it rejects heat into, into our, our office. Yeah. office. And then, of course, little... it's a small room with the two of us blow hard no in here. ventilation. And there's computer equipment and recording equipment. Sound and deadening just... material. Yeah. yeah. God, it's like we're in a coffin on a hot oh, summer day. It's so hot. It smells about as good as a coffin, too. <sighs> I'm we, sorry. I'm ready to get on to some news now that I feel the breeze on me. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I'm just sitting here sweating. It's not rotating. It's not moving. It's no, just because it, if it goes this way, it doesn't hit your microphone or you. So you get <laughs> to have all the air. Yes, because you don't like the air. I don't like the sound of the okay, air. Well, I like I'm the air fixing, on I'm me. Fixing that I for love you. air conditioning. Can we get on with the news? Go ahead. Hey, did you hear? Uh, no, I did not hear. Uh, SEMA got canceled. I heard that. Yeah. And I love how everyone shared it as if they were the first ones. <laughs> and the best were the guys days after the yeah. announcement. They're like, did you hear? Did you see this? <laughs> oh, my gosh. What are we going to do? Oh, Dude, man. SEMA canceled. Listen, I had heard. Here's something. I am always, uh, I'm an optimist. Okay. And I choose not to believe, uh, I don't believe conspiracy theories. I just, you know what? I live in a cloud, right? I'm just, everything is cloud nine for me. Okay. It's not true. It, not true at all. <laughs> uh, but I, I just choose to see the better side of the story if I can. Okay. I, the glass is half full. You get my point. I had heard from someone in Vegas who worked at Freeman. Now, they are the company that loads in all of the booths. They staff the entire Las Vegas Convention Center. It, you, you can't have a convention in Las Vegas without the Freeman Company. They're all the union people. And someone I know knew someone inside Freeman, and they said, hey, Freeman's not booked for the week of SEMA. And I go, there's no way that that's possible because SEMA is moving forward as if it's happening. And he goes, no, there's nothing on their calendar. So SEMA was moving along probably through just like, when, you know when like you, tr you will something in yep, reality? They're going through the motions and trying to see if things like, would change. Trying to make a change. Yep. And here's Freeman, who you absolutely cannot have any convention in Las Vegas without Freeman. Uh, because of the Teamsters. That's exactly right. And the mobsters that own the convention center. Maybe that's true. Something like that. So anyway, uh, it turns out to be the case. And they alluded to that in the press release that uh, due to issues with the uh, union staff, uh, there would be no SEMA because there'd be no... Yeah, they, wouldn't, they were not able to get like cleaning crews and restaurant food and all that kind of stuff. So, Anything. Eh, is what it is, right? Um, I'm going to miss it. Yeah, but now you've got uh, an extra year to finish your uh, truck for SEMA next year. That is true. And, and I do so need do I. the time. Yes. Yeah, well, you'll probably start building it a month before next SEMA. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get everything. As a matter of fact, so at, when we're recording this right now, I've already had a first meeting to discuss the build. Hmm. With who? Internal staff. Me and one other. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Uh, one other guy. You know that whole uh, TRX thing we we teased? Yes. Well, we can't. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't have a little bit of uh, Raptor news. Oh, really? They're coming back with some news, knowing that well, there's. Uh, are they trying to? Well, you know, the preempt, are they trying to preempt the hype? So, if you remember when uh, F-150 just got its mid-cycle refresh a few years ago, the Raptor did not get those styling cues. Well, the new one apparently will be getting the styling of the new truck and some other upgrades. Some uh, intrepid photographer was able to sneak underneath the rear of the Raptor, and you know what they found? Yes, truck nuts. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not leaf springs. Uh, oh, whoa. Full-on link coil rear suspension. Really? So uh, Ford's not done. They're not going to let the TRX walk away, and I wish I could tell you more about TRX, but you'd have to wait a couple hours for the bonus episode to come out and uh, hear all about it. Oh, you are such a tease. All I can tell you is Ford's got some work to do. 
Really? Well, we'll talk about it later when we won't get in trouble. You're saying the uh, they're down on horsepower and they're down on suspension and they're down on looks. I'm not saying anything. That's all uh, embargoed. But if you uh, <laughs> download our bonus episode here in a couple hours, you'll be able to be in the know. I feel bad because I'm not in the know yet. And that's the news in trucks. Ah. So uh, we talked about me going up to Colorado a couple weeks ago with the with the boys, and we cruised up in the 2007. Ram 3500 dually and uh, with the uh, bolster broken on the left side and I was sitting on a piece of metal. I was wondering I was wondering if you yeah. uh, packed a pillow. Uh no, I actually uh before I left I asked the wife to go to Pet Boys and pick me up a uh, a cushion which she did and it turned out to be a lifesaver because that really was would have been really You sat painful. on hard candy? No wonder it was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then the steering wheel now, after I got back, is way stickier than when I went up. That's a you problem. It is a me problem. And I haven't. I took all of our listeners' suggestions. I took rubbing alcohol, denatured alcohol. I took uh, I took all types of sanitary wipes and all kinds of stuff, and tried to clean that damn steering wheel, and it just keeps getting stickier. I don't understand how that leather is emitting sticky. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't even get I, it. I'm going to leave that alone. Is there a point to the story? Yes. What? So I went up to Colorado, and while I was there, I invaded uh, ATS Diesel. Wait, wait, wait. You invaded few- Arveda? <laughs> yes, so. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. And I got a few minutes with Mr. Clint Cannon, owner of ATS. Screw, nut, filter, oil, grill, tools, the parts department, wheels, tires, brakes, lights, gears, belts, the parts department, and your wife warns you. And you don't spend your cash, and then you want to come back. All right, Clint, take us back to year one with ATS. What did the building look like? Where were you? What uh, what did you build? What did you fix? And then how did you grow into this mammoth building? Well, I mean, that's going way back in 93. That was my little 1800 square foot building. And you were 13 years old then? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah so in 93 and then 97, I moved into a nice little... 8 bay, um, 8,000 square foot building. And I was lucky enough to acquire this building in 2004. Okay, no, wait, wait, wait. We're skipping ahead too fast. You're, you're, don't take us on light speed. You're going in the original building. What were you doing? How did you start? Your automotive transmission services, is that right or no? Uh, automotive transmission specialist. Specialist, And okay. that was essentially a transmission shop. So my passion was building trannies for hot rod cars. You know, and then the diesel started coming out in around 05. And I had a nice training package for them. But I was not building torque converters. I was trying to purchase torque converters and just couldn't find a torque converter from anybody. So I was really young then, dumb enough, so I thought, well, I'll just borrow some money and buy some machines. Because you didn't know that you couldn't. I, that's right. Nobody told me I couldn't do it, so I just did it. So it turned out it was a um, very painful, but it worked out in the long run. And a couple years later, I ended up developing and patenting the triple lock torque converter, which is the three-clutch converter, which we, everybody has today. So as that torque converter evolved, you know, and the diesels came out, then we continued to specialize in diesel transmissions, diesel torque converters. And then, of course, the Duramax came out, you know, in 01. And then that was a whole nother avenue. You know, that thing started to grow. So we started having the Allison. And at that point, we just really outgrew the building on Kipling. So take me back, though, to those first torque converters. Who was your competition back then? There really wasn't because, I mean, you had Suncoast. You know, that was building like a Ford torque converter. Um, and it was, they were basically built at single disc. And that's the only thing that was really out there. The uh, competition in the Cummins market for the 47s was 
a fellow in Canada, um, DTT, I think is what it's called, Bill Condolay, and he basically had like a uh, stock type converter, and then he would build a steel stator for it that would couple fluid more efficiently, and his MO was just to turn lockup off and go to fluid coupling. Well, that was kind of silly. We're making all this torque. We need to go one-to-one. We need to lock the converter. So locking the converter, you couldn't do that with a single disc. You had to do it with a multiple disc. Well, basically got the idea from a motorcycle clutch design. You look at a motorcycle engine, the clutches are literally the size of the engine, right? In a vehicle, the engine is massive compared to the little bitty transmission clutches. Well, I thought, well, let's start stacking up clutches inside a torque converter, and then that will give us the ability to double, triple, quadruple the ability to hold torque at the same pressure. So that was basically the invention or the formulation of... I mean, he's doing pioneering stuff. Like, it's it's hard to underestimate the stuff that he's talking about right now completely revolutionized diesel hot rodding. It's true. It's stuff that we all use today and don't realize it. Yeah. And he was there... And maybe didn't realize where it came from. I did kind of ask him after I shot it off, and I said, how much are you making on all these patents? Some stuff he has patents on, other yeah. stuff. And I think he was in such kind of a, not a rush to innovate, but... In those days, you're just you're just He's solving problems. You're solving problems, yeah. and by the time you realize you should have a patent, it might be too late. Yeah, somebody might be doing what you were doing. Yeah, if you and, didn't protect and, and it. for those of you guys that don't know, I mean, ATS doesn't just offer torque converters and transmissions. They offer turbos they and electronics yeah. and all kinds of stuff. But I kind of went started with his roots, which is of course transmissions. Why multiple disc converters became so prominent in aftermarket diesel because they had this massive torque. We needed to add clutches. The big problem was you couldn't buy one from anybody. So kind of went to work in the garage, whittling out some material and kind of stacking up these clutches. And lo and behold, it worked really well. So then started. I bought my first machine. What machine? You bought what first machine? Uh, milling machine. Milling and, and uh, lathe. So couldn't find anybody to actually build the parts. They were just too darn big. I mean, they're 13-inch pieces. There's huge slugs. Again, bought a machine, started whittling out parts. And over the years, you know, started building all the torque. How many did you destroy in the oh, process of making the perfect one? There was lots. We built lots of scraps. How lots, much lots. beer was consumed? Lots. It was all Bud Light, though. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, over time, you know, you just kind of figure out what's working, what's not, and longevity. And one of the big things is you can't, you can't just put something together and go racing with it and expect it to work on over the road, right? So that was really the big learning experience is how you design longevity into something that not only has the ability to hold all the power, but it has, is also good for longevity. And ultimately, that's what developed into the square tab converter. And that's yeah, I mean, why we have it. So your market was the racers and, like, hot shots, guys that are pulling 30-plus thousand pounds, right? It, it was. So it was the so that was kind of the, the beginning days of these big, high-horsepower diesels. You know, all of our guys that are pulling heavy, you know, pulling hay up and down the Rocky Mountains, they discovered the diesels. And the diesels, you know, could turn them up really easy, and especially, like, in the 12-valve. Well, they would just destroy the transmissions. So when you start putting that kind of power to the transmissions, they just keep wanting to turn up their engine, the trainings wouldn't hold. Well, we kind of worked out the transmission side of it. The, the weak link was the torque converter. So that's really the fuse between the transmission and the, and the engine. So getting designing a torque converter that actually had the multiple clutches in it that had the ability to hold was really the game changer to getting all these over-the-road guys using their power so they could haul their loads and then, of course, years later, it turned into racing, right? So now we have racing diesel tr- pickup trucks, which I always thought was kind of silly. I mean, a neat concept. I raced them for years, still do. But it turned into a whole street game, like who has the biggest, baddest diesel? 
on the street, I want a thousand horsepower vehicle that I can daily drive with. And that's kind of what, what ended up transpiring over time. Well, again, the tranny is the fuse, you know, so the transmission torque converter is constantly being under such demand. It just doesn't, it just doesn't have the ability to hold unless you just make everything ridiculously strong and out of billet and, and extra clutches and higher, bigger pumps, higher pressure, you know, and then of course adding the electronics later, they became electronically controlled. Now we have to manipulate the electronics, how the computer is manipulated. So the transmission does what it's supposed to do. So it's just kind of an evolution of time over, you know, years and years and years. And this is where we're at today in 2020. So you look back at that original 1,800 square foot building, and do you have fond memories of it? Or like, I mean, this is a, for those who have never been to ATS and Arvada, this is a mammoth building that used to be some type of government facility. Is that correct? No, your laugh was an EPA building. <laughs> yes. Irony. Yes. Someone call uh, Alanis Morissette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, did you just throw in a uh, '90s, early 2000s Alanis Morissette music reference? Yeah, this is ironic, right? I I got the reference. I, I was think, just um, verifying that that's what happened there. I think yeah, it's uh, it's embarrassing to know that little. Mis- Would you tidbit. say isn't it ironic? You could not have foreseen how big you would grow, right? There's just no way. You just no. were trying to solve a problem. Yeah, it's just always been about the passion. You know, hot rodding is finding all these. There's so many things that the manufacturers leave on the table, you know, that they just don't need to because they they build a vehicle that's designed to do a job. Well, all us guys in the aftermarket, we push them to the extremes. We find the breaking points. And that's really where we come in is we find the breaking point. We just make a little bit stronger, you know, just like you guys. So, I mean, there's so much there's so much opportunity to make things stronger and better that it just it never, ever goes. And over time. You know, my passion has been ATS, and I love the people. I mean, I have a lot of long-term people. I have many people that have been here with me for over 20 years, you know, and they're the same. They have the same passion, and we have just continued to grow into, you know, bigger products and better products and more products. And manufacturing here in the States is a very, it's really a fundamental part of our business, you know. And sometimes it's difficult, admittedly, right? Oh, it's very difficult. It's extremely difficult. A lot of the parts that... We manufacture, you know, they cost us more money because they're done here. But the nice thing is they are done here. It keeps jobs here, you know, and we get to turn on a dime. So that's one of the neatest things about ATS is we don't have to buy 500,000 parts of something that might be obsoleted or might be something we missed in the design. You know, if we'll do a couple hundred parts and then the next few hundred parts, we can make a design change. So things are constantly evolving and updated. And it gives us a lot of ability to, like, say, turn on a dime and continue to be very competitive in the market because we can make those changes. So it's just really unique. And we can't do it without a building this size. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right behind us, we have uh, two uh, mammoth uh, CNC machines. And we're looking at, what, what are these over here? Uh, those are covers, it looks like, for Duramax. or No, they're 68RV covers. Okay. So when I say cover, the all of our torque converters are built from, from raw material. We bring big, huge plate in. Um, from the from the mill, and then they're laser cut into round circles, and then the round circles which you see there are put on the lathe, and then they're all turned, and we whittle them out into our cover design, whether it, whether it's a 68 RFE or 47 or or a Duramax or whatever it is or an Allison. Um, and then at that point, we do the same thing with the rings. So the rings of our torque converter are actually oil pipe, big oil pipe, um, big 24 foot sections. We bring them in, saw cut them right here. And then we turn those, and then we mate the cover and the and the 
uh, ring into one unit, then they go through a welding process into the machine, and then we have a complete billet cover with the square tabs in it. And the entire torque converter, the billet cover, the ring, um, the stator, turbine splines, clutches, piston, all of that is done right here in this room. Um, as raw materials come out, they fly out the other side, they're all finished parts, and they go downstairs and they get assembled, and then balanced and painted, and then they go into the transmission assembly. Your scrap uh, yard must love you. Yeah, well, the, the nice scrap thing guy. about it is I actually, uh, that's all my play money, so I take the scrap myself. I also use that because usually, we're usually about thirty-two to 35,000 pounds gross weight when I take it down there. It's about every week and a half. I dump that, get cash for it, then come back and buy the guy's beer. Oh, that's bitching. My father used to own a couple apartment buildings, and all the uh, the laundry room quarters that would go in the uh, in the washer and dryers, that was his play money. Yeah, my dad would right. come up with bags and bags of quarters, <laughs> and he's like, you have no idea how much money is in this bag of quarters, you know? Yeah, that I'll would be what, Disneyland money. Those uh, those days are far and few between, but when you get a when you get a little bit of trade, it's kind of nice. Yeah. But, you know, those are the little things that we do the special stuff with. You know, we're, we're big. Uh, we do a lot of motorcycle riding here. We're... Everybody here at ATS is, is very outdoorsy. I mean, of course, we're in the, we live in the foothills of Colorado, you know, so we make a lot of trips to Moab. We make a lot of trips to Wyoming, okay. you know, and we've got, uh, we've got... Like Harleys or sport bikes? Uh, no, dirt bikes. Oh. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty much everything from... from because uh, the, the twisties up here are amazing for if you had, like, a, 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 if you had a hog or, you know, or a yeah. CBR or something. Yeah, no the, no, the roads are fantastic here for street bikes. But, you know, we're really, we're very family-oriented, so we have a lot of kids here. I mean, I've got a ton of kids or kids here that have grown into men, and now they've had kids. So we've got a ton of kids that are actually riding motorcycles now, and we get to go out to the desert and northern mountains, and we have three-day weekends. So it's really cool. It's, it's neat to see the evolution, you know, of 27, 28 years here, you know, watching the family grow up, and, and it's continuing to turn. Have you been tempted to get into the side-by-side market or the off-road or anything outside of diesel and transmission performance? Or, like, what are your feelings there? We have. Um, we've, I've, I'm constantly approached, actually. And, you know, I've got, I've got a side-by-side. I've got a Razor. Of course, we, you know, do that with the motorcycles. And I built a lot of parts. And we built a turbo kit, you know, for my Razor, for my little S model that wasn't available. And of course you did, because why wouldn't you? Well, everything needs a turbo. But, I mean, we've really, one of the things I've learned is you can't be a master at everything. I mean, you can be good at a couple of things. You can't be good at everything. So I've kind of gone down that road where I've dabbled. That's just not true. I mean, look at us. You're a successful marketeer. I'm a successful journalist. We are uh, both successful podcasters. Um, I, uh, I recently uh, found Dr. Pepper during the Dr. Pepper uh, shortage. I mean, you can. I'm great at barbecuing. You're great at eating. I mean, come on. There's so much where you can be great at everything. I mean, just look at us. Think of two better-looking guys doing a podcast right now. (laughs) I can't believe you're trying to get this over on our listeners. No? (laughs) No. You know, there's one thing we're great at. What? Being fat. (laughs) And you get diluted, and you just can't really take care of everything from cradle to grave. And taking care of the design, creating it manufacturing it, getting it to market, taking care of your customers, making you can, you can support them for the long run. You just can't do that when you're in every market. So as much as I love the side-by-side market and love the billet motorcycle market, you know, all those parts. I mean, just we can't. It's not realistic. It, it just, it's not. It's just, it's not fair. You know, so we just let somebody else do that. Yeah. But it makes you the masters of this trade. Well, we like to think so. I mean, we, yeah. it, we enjoy it. You know, it's been, 
it's been really nice. I mean, we have a, I think we have a really nice product line. We have excellent uh, feedback from our customers, you know, and, and we just, we're really loving what we're doing. So we're how, how often has a new product been developed from a request from a group of customers? Like where you didn't know that there was a problem until they alerted you and you said, oh my God, you guys are right. Let's you fix know, this. That's a good question because, I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the products just arrive that way. You know, I mean, you think you can kind of foresee a lot of the, a lot of the market and what's going on and what the failure points are going to be, but then sometimes you just you don't see it until maybe five years after the after it comes out and it just hits you know comes out of warranty, you know, and then all of a sudden they start failing. You know, we've had I mean, there, there's certain little things that that uh, products you know that come to mind. For instance, like the 68 RFE, you know, the billet channel plates. You know, those are ones that over time they season and they just warp and. And you continue to push them, and then and they just turn out they're just they're just garbage. I mean, so they are, they're warping and they're leaking, or what's happening in oh, the warping process? Yeah, so it's so they're just a cast piece of material that's very thin, and they are flat from the factory. But over time, being in the heat cycles, hot cold, hot cold, hot cold, thousands of times, they just begin to they lose their integrity, and they just can't seal between the the uh, valve body and the separator plate. So. It's uh, one of those deals where you just can't really you can't really work with with that piece. You end up having to manufacture it from a solid piece, and that, I mean that's just one little example that is something that we didn't invent, we didn't foresee. It just kind of developed itself, you know. And, now, and you're a un, you're in a unique position in that you have it looked like at least eight bays, maybe more downstairs. So you have customers' trucks coming in with real world problems that you're seeing that you can solve like or, or if you can't solve today you can build a part that will solve tomorrow right yeah absolutely and that is the you hit the nail on the head that's the only reason we have the install um, bay open downstairs it's it's not because it's a profit center i mean it's a it, frankly it's a pain in the butt because you have to you have to deal with these vehicles they're they're just dirty i mean they're they're coming in it's a service thing you know it's just not it's not the bread and butter but and you get married us. to the customers too that's the deal, yeah. and that's the reason it's open because we have a direct relationship with the customers. So, if anybody wants to have anything installed here, whether it's a turbo, a transmission, whatever, they drive here. We take it out, we see it real hand, we talk to the customer, we develop the relationship, we handle the warranty, we're married to them for five years. Without that direct relationship, there is no way that we could maintain the product line and really understand it like we do. Of course, that's why we all drive diesel trucks. You know, I mean, you have to you have to be immersed into it, and being immersed into it not only means you drive one, but you have that connection with your customer, so they can tell you, Frank, exactly, hey, this is what's going on, and it's huge for the product development. You couldn't do it without it. You know, I mean, I've talked for years about not about shutting down the install shop and not having it part of it, but it's it's such a part of the engineering um, team that you know we only have a few actual install techs. The rest of them are actually engineers, and they work, you know, working on the vehicles, and then they work on designing things. So it's hand in hand. So that so that connection is very very important. So there is as long as I'm around, I could never see not having the install shop being an integral part of ATS. You know, it's just plus it's cool. I mean, you just get to know all the people, yeah. and that's really what it's all about. Yeah, I would assume uh, most of your customers are have they either come in as an ATS fan or they leave as an ATS fan? That's uh, pretty much it. You know, we, we certainly, you know, our customer service side of things, I mean, we've really slipped in the past, you know, gotten busy and just, you know, not uh, not answered them, whether we generally didn't really know about it. You know, I've not, I've never been involved in the forums. 
uh, never have. It's always been third party, and and uh, you know things just gotten out of hand. And it's this last couple of years, I've really made it a, a direct, um, like number one, to make sure that customer service at its very highest. That we ha- that we are available on any many many forms, um, whether it's a phone call, social media, um, whatever that is, right? So we, so people can get a hold of us. Well, listen. The aftermarket is notorious for being slow when it comes to adopting, whether it's new technology or uh, especially when it comes to computers. And I think you, me being and, and Holman being in the aftermarket and being fans of it, we see a lot of companies go kicking and screaming into the digital age. They just, I just want to mill parts and I want to make things and let the customers find me on their own and let them discuss it. And they just kind of don't want to be a part of that discussion. But that's not today. That's not how a 27-year-old guy works today. As a a 27-year-old guy 20 years ago shops differently than he does now and communicates differently than they do now. Yeah, you have to be all over the groups, all over the Facebook groups, all over the forums, on social media. Like You just have to be. And when they have a question, you have to answer them. And unfortunately... That dialogue can uh, bring your company to new heights or sink you. Like it's insane. One customer complaint on a Facebook group with thirty thousand members can slow your sales Mm -hmm. like overnight. Yep, yep, absolutely. And that's 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 so much of what we experience. You know, we had we just had this. uh, You know, one person would get out there on a forum and and they would say something, and frankly, it's we just didn't know about it. We just weren't monitoring it, and that person would say something, and then. Obviously, we weren't there to defend it or to or to or to, to educate, you know, what's not, not being understood about it or take care of the customer, whatever it is. And then, oh, it must be true. So then all of a sudden the next guy comes in, the next guy comes in. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're just getting you're just getting the crap beat out of you. Right. So it's it's a very different world. You know, it's not it's not bad. You just have to understand it and you have to respond to it and you have to have the manpower. You know, you have to have you said it. It's a it's a manpower issue. And a lot of companies. Yeah. They don't understand that they're going to have to spend an extra hundred thousand dollars or more in in a couple of people to monitor and yeah. and, and be proactive online, yeah. and it's it's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of smaller companies. Yeah, but I'll tell you, that's what we all do, and we're looking for information. You know, if you're looking for, I mean, you're looking for anything that you don't know about, you get on get on the internet, right, and then you end up in a forum, you start reading the stuff, and it and it and it that's what builds the opinions. Of everybody, so it's a very real thing. And in recent uh, years, you've taken a, a lot more active role in being on camera, and you know, explaining the ATS story, explaining your products uh, eloquently and in detail. So, is that something that you enjoy? Oh, I love it now. I mean, it's it's something that I just kind of assumed years past that people knew who ATS was and who Clint Cannon was and what our values are and what we enjoy. You arrogant bastard! You know? <laughs> well, you just kind of just, like you assume things, right? You just like. I mean, I've never thought of myself as a bad guy. I mean, just, just like to build parts. Well, if you don't go out there and let people know and show them and open it up, like, hey, this is what we're doing, then people just assume, oh, you know, they, what if people were just kind of uh, uh, not tuned in. So now we can actually get in. And, now, and now, now I have time. You know, in the past, I did not have time. I mean, I didn't have time, you know, as building parts, taking care of customers. That's what consumed my day. Now I have a support staff around me that they can actually do that, and I can spend some of the time talking about some of the cool products we build, talking about our passion, talking about what we want to do in the future, you know, testing our products, developing it. So it's a, it's really fun. You have like eight thousand employees to look after the business. You know, L- luckily not that many. <laughs> 
No, but it's uh, times are good. It's 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 exciting. I mean, it's very exciting to actually finally be able to spend the time talking about these products and sharing it with everybody else. Because people dig it, man. I mean, people people are hot rodders. I mean, when I when I say a hot rodder, you know, somebody that loves a motor, that loves a good truck, that likes getting in something and driving it and getting to their destination and hear from their wife, man, that was a really nice trip. You know, not like, oh my God, are you going to please sell this truck? You know, I heard that so many times in the six liter days, right? I mean, six liters were were unbelievable in their day when they came out of the factory. I mean, they just like nobody could fix them. You know, years later, we all learned how to fix a six liter and all these wonderful parts are, and we they come in here all the time now. Like, oh, I love this yeah, truck. Yeah, now resale, know? they're a coveted truck now. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what their what their their resale is staggering on these things. But you know, all the diesel trucks are 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 that way today. I mean, you can't go and buy a cheap diesel truck. I mean, you even get something that has a an old motor. You know, like oh, I bought it. You know, right, and I'm going to put a new motor in. This is going to be the best truck ever. Yeah, try finding a great deal on a seven three in good condition. Good luck. Yeah, I was I was just talking to KJ about that because we've got uh, we've got a uh, VNT a variable turbo project um, that we're going to be able to available that, that's going to become available for the 7.3 and I was talking to him about it because he loves his 7.3 you couldn't pry that thing out of no. his dead he's going to be buried with it yeah oh yeah it's going to well, be a big ass you know, grave that thing is so cool you know Allison transmission behind he's got a six speed he's got the ultimate he's got the ultimate truck really everybody loves the 7.3 yeah. so now he needs a, a variable turbo on it so I told him that and he thought that he was going to drive out here tomorrow I'm like nope it's not ready tomorrow but you know, it'll be a couple more. And he will drive out here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But he is, you know, he's a perfect example of somebody that just loves the old 7.3. And, man, it's whether you got a 7.3 guy or you got an old 12-valve guy or you got a 6-liter guy. You know, they're just good vehicles. Yeah. You know, and luckily the aftermarket has given, you know, the end user the ability to make these such good trucks. You know, and, yeah, the technology has changed a lot on them, but you drive an old you know, an 0304 truck that's in good shape, man, they're nice. They're nice trucks, yeah. you know, so it's... Uh, and it's, there's suspension it's, upgrades out there to make it ride like a modern yeah. truck. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, let's contrast this with, say, an L5P. Now, I know you're working on something that I, we can't talk about, right? right? Downstairs? Okay. Let's just say that there's a product that could be a game changer for the L5P. That's the new Duramax, right? So the 2017 to 20... Holman, you hear that? That's me with an... Embargo. Uh... I have one of my own now. Yeah, okay. Uh, you're a little less than impressed. Uh, tell me more. Will it be 2017 to 19 or 20 uh, plus as well? Yeah, 17 current. Okay, so you're working on something we can't talk about, but tell me about working on it, uh, developing an, uh, a product for an older vehicle versus a brand new, just off the GM line truck. What challenges does it pose? Well, they're very, I mean, obviously today when we're talking um, technology, whether it's emissions on the engine or just the technology of the trannies, you know, new 10-speed, the technology advancement is enormous. It's so much different. The hard parts are kind of the same. You know, I mean, ATS, we're, we've all, I've always been a hard parts guy. I mean, and, and I kind of joke about, you know, hard parts are like torque converters, turbos, that kind of stuff. They're hard to engineer because they're so costly. Getting from point A to point B, you don't just modify something. I mean, it's like a full look at it. You have to build. You have to figure out what you're going to do. You have to build all the tooling. You have to cast them. You have to machine them. And you better be pretty dang close because you just scrapped, you know, eighty dollars or $100,000 that you is absolutely useless. Doing this for so long, you know, working through the 7.3 and the 6 liter 
and the 12 valves and the 24 valve and then the common rail and the 6-7 and then having the emissions come on, you know, has given us such a knowledge base and understanding of how that entire evolution happens that it really helps, you know, design something new. And we get into the L5P, you know, that's a magnificent truck. That is an incredible, an incredible truck. I mean, it's my favorite truck. You know, I've got a, I've, I have all the, you know, four Dodge GM. I've owned every single vehicle and modified every single one of them. And the L5P, the 2020 is an, an incredibly, it's an outstanding truck. I mean, it is so... It's a beast. It is a, it's a beast. And it drives incredible and it tows like an animal. I mean, it is so amazing. And the really, really exciting thing about it is it has a ton of improvement that can, that will, that can be made to it. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. I mean, so we're going to find some really amazing products. Does it surprise you? Well, it occurs to me that uh, I'm calling it an L5P, and I wonder how many people just were like, Lightning, what is that? It's current generation uh, Silverado, yeah, Silverado HD. Denali, right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. HD. Yeah, it's funny that you call the truck the engine code. I don't know why that is. I do that with all. It it has to do with where I work because. But there's other engines and. It's the only one like that matters to us, though, where I yeah. work, and so I've been indoctrinated uh-huh. into. I don't call it a Cummins. I call it a six seven. And right, which could I, also be a power stroke. But yeah. <laughs> nah, I mean, we that then you in that case you just say Ford six seven, so it's a Ram six seven and a Ford six seven. Which which generation? Oh, well, then you have to get specific about the year range. Uh, I'm just saying it's, it's a lot of work to do. <laughs> I know. It would be easier just saying, oh, a Silverado with a diesel or something. But I just it occurs to me listening back to that uh-huh. that I sound like a, a doof. No, you just sound like you're- uh, Two industry insiders. Two inside yeah, baseball. Su- super insider. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Let's get on with the show. Okay. We can't- I can't really tell this. Well, we can. We can talk around the story. So you are mo- you're improving upon a part- on that L5P truck. We won't say what part it is. But you had questions. You said, why was it? And you, you took this thing and you held it in your hands and you looked at it and you said, there's something weird going on with this. Why did they make it this way? Right? There was a physical change in this part. And you said, why would GM have made it? And then you called someone and they admitted to you that it was a cost savings issue, right? As It wasn't for performance. It was a cost savings issue, which immediately triggers you to say, oh my God then I can improve upon it because GM had to cut back in this one area on this action, on this part. And you said, I, okay, I know I can make a, a greater flow or whatever the case is. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And that's where, I mean, and that's really what the aftermarket is so comprised of. I mean, we, you know, that's, that's what we live on. That's what you guys, you know, banks lives on is like, if the manufacturers, the manufacturers have the ability to make the best, robust, strongest, longest lasting vehicle out there. They, I mean, we wouldn't be in business. You know, if they didn't have the constraints, the budget constraints, right? So they they go out to set a goal. They hit the goal. You know, the, the guys upstairs, the penny pinchers say, this is your budget. I mean, this is what we need to do to get to this market. And that's what they do. Well, then they give it to us guys in the aftermarket. And we look at all these little things. And we're like, wow, we can improve here and we can improve here and we can improve here. And the next thing you know, we have this magnificent part, you know, where there's an upgraded torque converter, an upgraded turbo or whatever it is, right? that improves upon what they gave us. You know, I mean, what you guys have done with the Derringer 
is a perfect example of that. You know, they have, they've left extra room. So now he's talking about Banks. So I'm, I'm doing Churchill Podcast and Banks all at once. So I'm wearing the Banks shirt. So Clint can't decide right now who he's talking to. Is it Lightning or is it Jay from Banks? <laughs> he's going back and forth. So, all right, we'll stay on the Churchill Podcast thing. Uh, sometimes I don't know who I'm talking to, whether it's Lightning or Jay from Banks. Really? There's times. There's <laughs> no. Times. I feel, you always I, know it's me. Really? I feel Clint. I feel Clint. Go ahead. Press play. But uh, anyway, I mean, you know, as far as the aftermarket goes. I'm offended. I mean, okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I mean, you know, as far as the aftermarket goes, you know, when we start talking about upgrading, you know, components, the manufacturers really do leave, leave us loopholes, you know, that we can improve on. And for instance, I mean, every part, you know, like we're, we're really known for turbochargers and torque converters, right? Yeah. Well, every turbocharger that comes out, there's room for improvement. Every torque converter that comes out, there's room for improvement. Sometimes there's huge, huge room for improvement. And how, how often does it surprise you where you go, are you serious? Like, we just increase, increase performance by X. Like, I only thought we could make a, like, a little sliver of improvement, but you went way beyond. Like, how often yeah. are you surprised? Well, I'll tell you what, it's getting harder and harder these days. In the, in the days of the, of the 24 valve and the common rail, man, there were huge, there was so much room there. I mean, massive room for improvements. Today, one of the things I found, and we started really seeing this with the fuel injection systems. Now we're seeing it in the turbos. We were really seeing it in the uh, torque, con- or in the, sorry, the transmission, that the manufacturers are getting very savvy in figuring out how to limit performance based on all the feedback that comes from the transmission. I'll give you an example. Oh. Is the transmission that came out in the early Duramaxes, they were hydraulically limited. They would not hold any more power, and if they began to slip, it wouldn't hurt the transmission. But as soon as you turn power up, then it would slip the transmission. The transmission is is being monitored by the TCM. As soon as the TCM sees a little bit of slip, then it derates the engine. Well, the factory or the the aftermarket, first thing they do is they turn off the derate of the engine. So now the engine doesn't turn down and it burns up the training. So then all of a sudden you have to go into the transmission and upgrade that. Well, they made it difficult. You couldn't just do a valve body fix. It was an internal modification to the transmission to get it to hold more power so you could turn up the engine. Well, you started seeing that the fuel injection systems where fuel injection pressures are maxed out. The pump won't deliver anymore because that's about as big as what they need to get the job done. And and that's a very lengthy conversation, but bottom line is they're not giving us a lot of extra hardware to deal with. The turbochargers are that way. The turbochargers are becoming difficult to modify, difficult to get bigger because the actual physical sizes of them, the constraints, especially with the VGTs, you can only do so much with them. So it's limiting airflow. You know, that's something that that, uh, Gail has done many, 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 many um, hours of talking on with all this testing. How and yet guys still don't believe him, by the way. Well, you know. There are a lot of guys, no, you can still go bigger. But, you can make more power, you know, and they don't have the instrumentation to measure it, so no, they keep spouting yeah. off. But it's also, I mean, that's the whole belief that more fuel is going to make more power, right? So, yeah, a little bit more fuel is going to make a little bit more power, but then you start getting way out of your efficiency range. You start to melt the motor. I mean, it, it, it's a whole thing like sled pulling. This, is a, this drives me nuts. The sled pullers of the day they would they would hang these massively huge turbochargers on the engine and we're talking about a 12 valve so very low injection pressures a ton of fuel and they're injecting so much fuel in these engines that it literally is like there it's it turns it into a jet motor so all this raw fuel comes out the exhaust manifold it ignites in the exhaust manifold it drives the turbine so now the turbo 
turbos are making like 150, 200 pounds of boost because they're literally being completely like a jet engine. So you have a turbine jet engine. Red, I mean, you got fuel shooting out the exhaust that's driving these turbos, and they would do that to create so much boost to feed the engine to help kind of burn this fuel. Well, when you start raising injection pressures, then all of a sudden that whole theory kind of turns upside down on itself, right? You have to add... You, you have to live in an, an environment that has the right fuel ratio so you actually burn the fuel without getting the smoke. That's why we started to see all this power increase in the high-pressure injection motors. But when you come into the emission stuff today, you can't just add more fuel you know, to light the turbo. Oh, it's like If you add more fuel to just light the turbo, now you're dealing with all the after-treatment problems, right? You're clogging up everything in the system. Yeah, right. So it's a... It's a whole new, it's just a, it's a complete different theory. So what you're saying is the, the sled pull guys, as cool as that is at sled pull, and, and, and it does work at sled pull, it's not what you should be doing on the street. It's the, exactly. absolutely the yeah. wrong application. Yeah, it's just different. I mean, it's just different. And, and I find myself getting into these conversations of a guy that's very successful at sled pull. And I mean, I love sled pull. We have sled pull in trucks. But it's very successful at doing that. And they chime in and say, We'll give that thing some more fuel, and that'll fix it. And that's a lot of what I hear, you know, like Gail's talking about, right, when, he, when he's doing this testing on it and kind of like, okay, the turbo's maxed out. Like, we're done. Like, we can't go anymore. And like, oh, throw some more fuel at it. You know, yes, you can, you can spike it to that power level, but that's, that's not how it's done, right? And for, you, get, you get that power for 13 seconds, and yeah. that's it, and then yeah. you grenade. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just, you know, it, it, and one of the coolest things about this industry, like all industries, is technology – you have to have your thumb on technology. Technology is our friend. You have to understand it. When you understand technology and you work with it, then you start to get in those higher, those next levels. And that's that's one of the common denominators between, you know, a lot of the big companies, you know, in the states that are in this industry. Is I mean, you're seeing those that understand technology that are embracing it and working with it and continuing to and and working together, you know, to make it better for the end user for all of it. So it's exciting times, man. I mean, it's just, it's cool. I can tell by the smile on your yeah. face. Yeah, no, I Honestly, I, you, do, you guys can't see it, but Glenn's pretty pumped about this. Yeah, no, I could probably talk about this thing, stuff forever. I mean, this is, the, this is the passion. This is the dream. You know, so continuing to, continuing to be able to work on this stuff and just design these products is very exciting. So you're not worried that at some point the OEs, the manufacturers, will just make a truck that's just too good and can't be improved upon? That's not uh, a concern. Well, you know, I mean, sure it's a concern. You know, there, there's two ways to look at that. You know, right now they're building a truck that is, it's hard to beat. You know, I mean, you can buy a brand new truck and theoretically, I mean, if that thing, you know, it's a good one out of the factory, you could probably change the oil in that thing and absolutely beat the shit out of it, you know, for 100,000 miles and it would be, it would probably suit you fine. You know, you kind of couldn't do that in years past. You know, I mean, it would get the job done, but it wouldn't really give you the performance that you're, that you're happy with. Today's trucks, they work pretty well, you know, pretty dang good. So every year they get better and better and better. The thing is, enthusiasts, people from the outside, we all want a little bit more. We're pulling heavier. I mean, the, the GVR, the rating is going higher, right? I mean, hitches are getting bigger. Axles are getting bigger. So they're allowing us to pull more and more weight with these things. They're not necessarily going crazy with the power, right? It's a safety factor. Yeah. So, so there's, there's always room for improvement, but you have to look at the entire package. You know, it's yeah. not just giving it more power. You know, it's making sure that the transmission can hold up. It's making sure that things safe. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot you look at. You know, we're also dealing with, with all the emission stuff. Now, you know, economy is a big deal. You know, so, so having that fine, running that fine line between 
how much power I have and making sure that I'm not just wasting a whole bunch of extra fuel, you know, that hits the pocketbook that the wife is upset about, you know, that puts a kibosh on it, right? You really have to look at the whole system. But short and long answer, you know, the manufacturers, yes, they're doing a fantastic job, but there's always, there's always things for improvement. I know of a guy, um, Rene Garza at uh, Northern Cross, uh, Northern Cross Transportation, and he pulls 40, I want to say it's 41,000 pounds behind his uh, Duramax 3500 HD. Now, you're not allowed to do that in every state. He does that in Texas. He goes, it's the craziest weight I've ever seen behind an L5P. He's got a Goliath um, gooseneck, and he'll pull this crazy weight, and he's looking for reliability and more power because that truck is maxed out. He needs your transmission. He's the kind of guy that his business is pulling massive weight. He's the guy who just is going to need more. And there are going to be more guys like that. But I tell you what, you cannot believe how many people are how many people out there. That is, that is our customer. That is 100%. That is what keeps ATS in business is the trainees. Because those guys, there are so many of the over-the-road guys out there and they need to pull more weight because they're going from point A to point B. They're hot shotters whatever it is, or they're, you know, out playing and they have their fifth wheel, it's a toy hauler, then they put a, tra- a trailer behind it. And I mean, it's not uncommon to see 40, 45,000 pounds. It's just not uncommon. And with It is stock, in California. Uh, well, I so we- it's, it's totally legal there, right? But, <laughs> but guys are, I mean, you get into, you know, like Montana, Texas, you know, Colorado, well, out east. Especially. Land of the free. That's oh, what man. I, land it's of the a, free. It's like these trucks, I mean, the guys will put whatever they can safely haul. And the trucks. I like your air quotes, safely. Yeah, right. right. It's, you know, it's just, it's nuts, but it just tears things up. And it's, it's, that's never going to stop. You know, so you start doing that and you absolutely wear a truck out or you take the stress off of it. When I say take the stress off of it, that's what, that's what all the testing does on the dynos is you, get to a point and that's why the manufacturers limit the fuel they limit the power you know you get to a point that you run out of airflow you can't safely keep the engine cool and make that power sustainably so it's like okay we're done well as soon as you start adding more fuel you know then all of a sudden you start to raise those limits so it's very it's a very fine line you get that thing up you know making another you know 15 20 percent or 30 percent more horsepower guess what now you're starting to tweak the you know the training is starting to fail and it's just it's just what we all do you know when we put stuff behind it you know if it pulls it well you know if it's rated at twenty thousand gvw we're going to put 30 on it you know it's rated at 25 we're going to put 35 right because we're men yeah that's just what we do i mean and and it's insane you know that that i mean that is the client base i mean that's who that's who buys our products that's who we engineer our products for you know because those guys are out there running their trucks. They bought a truck to, and they're going to get every last dollar out of that $100,000 truck they bought. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's... And by the it's, way, $100,000 trucks. We still... Holman and I are always talking about they were like, every time a new model comes out that's... Well, they'll say, well, it's, you know, it's 80 is the MSRP. Like, you option it out and it's 101. Does yeah. that does yeah. that blow you away that we're now seeing $100,000 plus dollar trucks? Totally. It totally blows me away. I mean, I, I, it blew me away when a truck was 50 grand. You know, I'm kind of like, man, I can't believe it. And then 65000 like, I cannot believe that's a $65,000 truck. And now we're talking a $100,000 truck. And guys and are still modding them. Selling them. Oh, yeah. Selling them like hotcakes. And the first calls we get, hey, you got an upgrade for this? Like, man, they ha- I don't even have the truck yet, you know? So, no, I, I, don't, I don't know where it will stop, if it will ever stop. But it's just, I suppose, like anything else, I mean, never... 
you, you just you, you just you just work with it because yeah. it's happening. But the other thing is like these trucks aren't coming off the road that much. Yeah, I mean you have trucks that like we we're talking about in the six liter, the seven three. They're still on the road. Yeah. They're still popular. I mean I can't tell you how many twelve valves come into this building. Really? Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, and they're nice. They're clean. We get a few of them that are that are a little bit wrecked, but they are clean trucks. You know, they're just they are just on the road. So we had a we had a seven three turbo kit um, years ago. I mean, for the ninety three ninety four, and we discontinued it probably almost ten years ago. Um, it, it just we thought it's just that truck's too old. We finally just discontinued it. Probably the one of the worst decisions I ever made. We still get calls people wanting to buy a turbo kit for a 93 Ford. You know, it's in a sweet spot, I think, for young guys that uh, they can't afford a $100,000 truck, and they're able to yeah. buy dad's old 7.3, and the first thing they need to do is upgrade the turbo. Yeah. Yeah. And those, and those upgrades, you know, you're getting those, you know, second, third, fourth generation trucks that these kids have buy, and they want to put all the pieces on them. I guess just like us, you know, in the, you know, in the 80s when we were buying older vehicles and, and fixing them up, you know, same deal, but the, uh, the, these kids, man, these boys love their trucks. It, it does everything. It's a little hot rod truck and hauls, their, hauls them to the market and hauls their hay. And When you were a kid, what was the first vehicle you modded? Uh, so the first one I actually modded was a 55 um, Impala. I'm sorry, 55 Bel Air, um, 283 in it. Okay. But that was really short-lived because I ended up trading my old man for a 67 GTO that was completely, like, wasn't drivable. Um, that was a cool, it had a sprint six cylinder in it. So that was a, and I wish I would have kept that motor, but I took the motor out. It had a factory four barrel inline six overhead cam, um, Pontiac motor in it, which was, they called the sprint motor, really cool motor. Anyway, took it out and it completely restored it and ended up turning into a GTO with a late model, um, 350 Chevy in it and a 700 R4 overdrive, automatic overdrive. So that was a that was a, that was a neat vehicle. And where's that car today? That's a good question. I have. No oh idea. no, no! End I wish of, you had that. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to have it back, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of things I'd like to have yeah. back that I sold. <laughs> but hopefully, somebody has in their garage somewhere. And so back to ATS. If if a guy has whether it's an older seven three six zero or maybe a brand new truck for that matter, can they call ATS and get consultation? Like, here's what I do. I haul this. I, and I'm, I'm experiencing these issues, and you have a team downstairs that will talk them through the right application, correct? Yeah. In fact, we've, we're in the process of expanding that team even more. You know, in the past, we didn't do much on the, on the kind of the retail side. It was just kind of a tech line. And now we have a, we have a full bank of guys that are there just for that reason to help guide through, especially with the, with the new trucks. You know, there's a lot of controversy on what I do first. You know, do I do, I do an exhaust or an intake or you know, a module or whatever it is, and, and they're all different, right? right? So depending on what you want to do, you know, there's always a different avenue of how you go about, you know, upgrading that truck or replacing a worn part or whatever it is. You know, there's, on the transmission side, there's different stages, right? The, the stages are based on what is the use of your truck? How much power are you making? How much weight are you pulling? You know, what are you looking for? And our guys are educated just for that reason. So you can call and have a conversation. You can email, whatever it is. But there's a dialogue there so we can help get you the product you need so you're not going to overspend, but you get exactly what you need. Because that's one of the big things that, that I've identified that we've really found over the years is when you do have a failure is um, the customer didn't buy the right product. 
So say they bought a product that is almost enough, but then they're making too much power and it overpowers it. You know, or the stall speed's different or whatever. So, you need headroom in whatever you buy, yeah, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it might be the turbo was too big. You know, everybody wants to buy the biggest turbo. Well, the biggest turbo is not always the right option. You know, in fact, a lot of times a smaller turbo is the right option for you. Right. So it's how those whole systems work together. And today, more than anything, having the torque converter and the turbo and the control system, you know, whatever power module you have or the intercooler, whatever that is, I mean, you have to match them. And if you match them properly, then you're very, very happy. And drivability is the key. You know, I mean, I hate talking about horsepower numbers. You know, it's just, I don't care about the horsepower number. What I care about is how smooth does that thing work? I mean, how efficiently does it power up through, It does it respond, does it come up to torque? And the operating range that you're driving around, that you do most of your work around town, get on the highway pulling heavy, that's what that's where you want it to work. It doesn't matter about the max horsepower. You want it to get very be very responsive. You want it to be efficient in a means so you're not burning up extra fuel, you know, overworking the after treatment system, you know, drivability, you know, how how clean it shifts, not necessarily how hard it shifts, when it shifts. You know, those are all things and when you when you can dial all those in, then you get the driving experience that everybody's happy about. And that that's that's what I'm all about. Yeah. ATS, making truck driving fun again. That's right. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> making truck driving fun again. I like it. All right, Clint, thank you. All right, Holman, that was, uh, that was a long one. Wow. I had no idea it was going to be four hours long. <laughs> I just uh, enjoyed my time with Clint. No, Clint's great. Love uh, love hanging out with him. He's got an amazing uh, facility. Super professional. The Super guys great. There are great. Yeah, yeah, great, great group, group yeah, of if guys. Yeah, if you're in Colorado uh, and you're looking for a diesel shop, those guys are the ones to go to and- they're in uh, Ar- Arveda, Arvada. Arvada, Arvada. We did some, when I was up there, so I went up there because he's using some equipment that we make. Yep. I thought it was kind of interesting. It was kind of like, yeah, technically our two companies are, uh, we're competitors. You're competitors We're competitors, sure. so, and he's using some of our stuff, yeah. and, and and I will be using some of his stuff soon. Yeah. Well, I, I would cool. imagine, you know, and there's so, some overlap. Trip out on this. So we get in his uh, 2019 Ram Cummins 6.7 liter diesel. Okay. All right. We go to his house, which is Bitching. Okay. He bought this cool house up on a hillside, and then he dug in sideways and created this giant lot so he could pull his his sand toys. Yeah, and you gotta all that have stuff, a right? place to park your your, your junk. <clears throat> He's got all that stuff, and so we hook up his goose neck, but it used to be a fifth wheel, and he converted to a gooseneck trailer, okay. <clears throat> and he's got uh, some toys in it, and then behind that we connected a flatbed trailer with his razor, and towed it all. Up the Eisenhower Pass. Wow. And it pulled it up, no problem. Yeah. We were passing people. Dude, we were we were testing. Trucks are so amazing. Yeah, we were testing uh, his new turbo system for that for that truck. Is that the embargo thing you can talk about? Nope. Nope. The embargo thing <laughs> is on a different uh GM. No, I know. I know. Yeah. And I, I think I know what it is, but I won't Oh, do you I really? Spoil it. I think Interesting. so. Interesting. Yeah. It rhymes with uh Nope, don't do it. Oh. Nope. <laughs> Just don't. Okay. Why do you do that? Because I can't. I'm not good with embargoes. You're going to have to bleep that out now. No, because all I said was. <laughs> but you can't. That's like me saying. What? No, you got now. You had to bleep that no, out because the, they're going to hear it in the next episode that happens in, in just like, well, like a couple hours. It's already by the time you're hearing this, it's, well, already, it's out. already out. Yeah, because yeah, oh the world's longest interview. Well, I was going to do like uh, like letters, and we were going to do a uh, five star hotline, and we were going to no. do reviews. No, no, no. no. We're ending the show now because we no, got another no. one to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 no time for that. Nope. We uh, we got work to do. <laughs> yeah. 
we got another episode for you guys. Uh, it's already on deck, so check your uh, your inbox. It's on deck? So do you think it weighs 2,000 pounds? Uh, it's a podcast. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. Oh, oh. Well, he's LBC Lighting. I'm at Sean P. Holman. We are at Truck Show Podcast on all your social uh, favorite places. And don't forget to leave us a message on the five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. We didn't get to it this episode, but... That means there's still time for us to get to it next episode. And uh, I noticed that one person left us four voicemails. Must be a long story. I'm looking forward to hearing four what that's all about. Four voicemails? Yes. <laughs> so if you can top that, please uh, please give it a whirl. Is he a hotshot? Like a trucker? No, no, no. No, that's a great story, though. Oh, really? Yeah, you, yeah, you've yeah. already... Oh, did you read the, the transcription? Well, if you read the transcription, it would be like if you uh, used adaptive text on your phone to, like... Write a book or something. It just, <laughs> it just destroys. Really work, yeah, yeah, you can't understand. Well, don't forget uh, to reach out to us, Truck Show Podcast at gmail.com. And I guess this is the part of the show where we uh, thank our sponsors. Like Nissan, yes, five year, 100,000 miles. The warranty is the best in the business on the Titan, the Titan XD. Go into your local Nissan dealer, go to nissanusa.com because this truck is money. No, it's affordable. And they have financing. No, money is in cool. Oh, like uh, like, like, uh, like it's like, fire. Like, it's uh, it's yeah. awesome. It's cool. It, yeah, it, it rocks. Dope. I don't know if the kids say dope anymore. No, they don't. No, they old people who think that kids still say dope say, say dope. dope. Like like, well, like you. Yeah, yeah. I hey, how about dope. that? You I, just I, said <laughs> dope. <laughs> well, I mean, I was doing it ironically. Yeah. Okay, you dope. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dect is Touché. our uh, Dect is our other sponsor that you guys should check out. Head over to Dect. Dot com or at Decked USA. Now, why would they go to Decked? What does what does Decked make? They make the world's most thoughtful and innovative, <laughs> high quality storage and cargo organizing solution <laughs> for your truck or van. You just just botched it. You just destroyed. You took no, all perfect. the words and you rearranged it them. It's all perfect. So it's a locking drawer system. Perfect. All it was. Yes. No. And it's all made out of this super high density. Yet somewhat lightweight plastic that is insanely durable. Uh, and it's uh, dustproof and water-resistant, and we said lockable. has. Yeah, really I said that. And, 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 and when you're listening to this episode, this is the week at which I'm shooting a video, and I'm going to put 2,000 pounds of, of sand, sand as in we, your drawers? Not in the drawers. Are you going to do... Okay. Yes, in my drawers. <laughs> Are you going to do no, 400 pounds of sand in the drawers, and then... Six. No, I don't want to make a mess. No, no. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. We have these giant bags of sand. I'm gonna uh-huh. put on the back and the bed on the deck system. Where and then do we're gonna you roll get it on bags of sand? Where or why? Where? Like, do you go to the the sand store? Uh, I don't know where they would have purchased them. It's before Are my they time. In burlap? Are they in plant? No, do they leak slightly? So every no. time that you pick one up, sand falls out no, everywhere. These things are thick. Huh. Nothing's getting through these suckers. Huh. Yeah, we pick them up with a forklift and drop them right into the bed, right on top of the deck system. That's huh. that's the plan anyway. And you're sure they're sand? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's sand. I'm just asking. Well, like, what else would it be? How would you know? Have you looked? Dead bodies? Are you assuming it's sand? Uh, yeah, I guess I am. I just, you sand I'm gonna, assumer? I'm going to go look tomorrow. All right, I want to report back. <laughs> was it sand in the bag or was it gelatin? No, gelatin's not heavy enough. As I say, why would it be gelatin? I don't it might know, be gelatin lead. just came to my head. It might be lead shot. Lead shot would be interesting. Right? Huh. Be dangerous, though. Could be sandwiches. <laughs> it's not sandwiches. Have you seen the sandwiches that I like? Are you hungry? It could be sandwiches. Really dense sandwiches. Always hungry. A lot of meat. A lot of meat. <laughs> That's what she said. I think uh, this is where we should wrap it up. Uh, why? <laughs> because we're, because we're off the rails like, already? Oh, yeah, okay. We've been going on for like eight hours. Oh, 
Longest episode. No, not even close. All right, Shmam Shmirx. Next episode. All right, listen to it. Also, stay tuned for some more uh, Shmirper Shmarger talk. What? It's it's oh. like a Shmurbo, but with a little spinny thing on a belt. I get it. In the Shrex. Sh- I got it. I got it. The Shram Shrex. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next.